What's your take on this story as a big Feral fan? Well, you already know what I'm going to say. Feral did nothing wrong. <laughs> X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is cartoonist and Twitter ne'er-do-well, Daryl Io. This is an episode I asked Io about a long time ago, and... Honestly, I felt like I needed to do the Wolfsbane episode first, and that required so much reading that I was like, I'll get to Wolfsbane and then I'll, you know, then I'll call in the Feral Defense Squad. Feral is a character I had never really thought about very much in my life until I discovered a Twitter account called Feral Did Nothing Wrong that often went into detail. about the ways Farrell has been wronged by the greater narrative. And then the funniest thing is I reached out to you about this without realizing that you were the listener who wrote in as a Farrell fan to the Fabian Niciesa episode to ask about his thoughts on Farrell, to which Fabian said, well, you know what? I'm just going to put the clip in right here for people who haven't heard that episode. X-Men, X-Men. What was your thought process about Feral? Because Wolfsbane exits and Feral, who's a somewhat similar character, but personality-wise very different, comes in. My thoughts on Feral was after Rob left, um, and I got, I assume the writing on the book solely, my thought was, please let me get this character off of this team and out of this book as quickly (laughs) as I possibly can. And unfortunately, it took me 25 issues or more before I was able to do that. I don't even remember when I wrote her out. I couldn't stand the character. She definitely is one of those characters that just causes problems on purpose. Like, doesn't like anybody else on the team, isn't really a team player. It's just, I, I, yeah, yeah, I just tried. <laughs> if you notice, I ignored her tremendously until I finally did a two-part story, and that was as much to get her out of the book. I couldn't stand it. I just thought she was unnecessary, repetitive, boring, uh, one-dimensional. There there was nothing about her from Rob's Rob's initial design and and his initial notes on her. There was nothing about her that ever really appealed to me. So, well, there you have it. X-Men, X-Men. That is one of the funniest things that's ever happened on this show is like, do you have anything to say about Farrell? I'm a huge Farrell fan of him just being like, I fucking hated that character. I wrote her out as quickly as possible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, man, that's rough. And then I was like, you know, I should do a feral episode. I should read it to Io. Io loves feral. And then I realized the two men were one in the same. Because I was like, there are two feral fans. And then I was like, oh, wait, there's one, one feral fan. No, actually, as it turns out, there are potentially other feral fans who've written in. I love that for you and for them, a whole litter of feral fans the kitten caboodle (laughs) before we dig too deep into maria kaya santos feral x-force character that's about it we we should talk a little bit about you what is your history with the x-men what's your origin story with this franchise i was thinking about this earlier today 
at some unknown period in the 80s, Pride of the X-Men was just on TV when the cartoons I was expecting were supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Like, I never got into the X-Men until much later, but it's like they kept coming at me because I guess in retrospect, it's very obvious because it was just becoming a larger and larger cultural thing. Right. But, you know, as a little kid, I saw this cartoon show and I didn't really grasp it all. Um, so in the like in the beginning, like the taxi cab drops uh, Kitty Pride off at the place and speeds away. So I'm thinking that this is about like a haunted house sort of situation. Because <laughs> the guy's like, "You're crazy! I'm out of here!" Vroom! So I'm so I was gearing up because I was just like I, I like Ghostbusters when I was a kid. So I was like, "Okay, this is a different thing." So this might one this one could be scary. So like, let's just see where it goes. And it was freaky but not scary because like you know you had nightcrawler and i didn't even i saw it as an adult obviously but when i was a kid i didn't grasp that nightcrawler what nightcrawler was doing until like the very end when he when um there's this thing where where blah stands in front of him he like can't get out and he just like disappears and reappears behind him and like my little kid brain was like what (laughs) like he was doing (laughs) the entire episode but that was the first time that it actually like sunk in for me. They're like, wait, yeah. he's teleporting. Okay. Yeah, but it just like this. I mean, you know, you're a kid and you just gotten like the hang of like uh, object permanence. Sure. So, <laughs> this is like, whoa, excuse me, what's going on? Yeah, you where know? the fuck did that guy come from? That's not like, like he was standing in front of him and like, oh, he can't go. This, this this big guy is in front of him, and then he just disappears and reappears i'm like oh okay so no but it didn't have any effect because pride of the x-men didn't go anywhere you know Mm -hmm. so then they had a video game based off of x-men comics and pride of the x-men it was for nes it was the worst thing you've ever seen it's like it makes a lot of lists that are like worst video game of all time on nes and it it's usually the pick or on the list of picks um and i remember being I remember because um, my mom used to do home shopping network and she was like, that sounds like a thing that you'd be into, right? And I was like, I don't know. But I guess she has just said that because she bought it anyway. Right, sure. I played it. It was incomprehensible, but the but the character selection screen and also the booklet had all this information. So you're like, oh, okay. Right. Um, stuff like the self-styled master of magnetism and, you know... <laughs> You know, all these types of things. And this didn't, again, it didn't like make too much of like a dent, but it's like these little repeated things that keep going. All of the Nintendo X-Men games were terrible. I had, I didn't have NES. I had the Super Nintendo though. And uh, the Spider-Man and X-Men Arcade's Revenge was like truly hell. Uh, It was not fun. It was just really hard. Storm was a water level. It's like, what's the point of this? Why would you give me a chance to play Storm, Mistress of the Elements, but she's swimming the whole time. Nobody likes a water level. She can't even do her weather powers. I was pissed because, like, my neighbor had a Genesis, and we were a Nintendo household, not a Sega household. You know, everybody only has, like, one game console back then, right? If you had one. When I would go over to his house, the Genesis X-Men games fucking ruled. Yeah side scrolling action with like that you could summon in the characters who weren't playable. Zaladane was a boss at the end of the first level. There's just so much quality shit going on. Meanwhile, I've got Storm drowning in a trap in Murder World. And I'm like, why is this <laughs> happening to me? 
Yeah. I don't think I've played that NES game, but yeah, it was just the Nintendo the Nintendo X Men offerings were not not quality. You have to play it at some point. It's awful. I I like, should now. Like I'm sure it's I'm sure there are ways that one could play it now. I I mean I don't know any of that emulator stuff. Neither do I, and it's not legal, so we're not. I I would never Oops. ever do that. But I'm sure there are ways I could find to play that game. Yeah, but you already know it's a terrible thing. Oh, terrible I'm sure. Thing. Yeah. Did you ever play? There's like, you probably didn't, but there's this um, shockingly bad pc game but like from the 80s that's like based on fall of the mutants and you like <laughs> like it's like you play as the whole you can pick the whole team you can play as like I, I when i saw that it existed i was like oh my god i can play as rachel summers and white psylocke in a video game like i hadn't even heard of that it's real primitive i'll tell you that <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know you're playing the character because there's a square with their face on it. It's not a super, uh, you know, intense game. What happens with a lot of these licensed games, and obviously, infamously, the Ninja Turtles NES game is very similar, is they try very hard. they like, probably given, like, this big Bible of everything that the franchise is about, and they're like, how do we crack this into, like, a game? And they, tr so they end up doing this really experimental stuff that doesn't work, but is, you know, memorable, if nothing else. So, you know, mm, no, absolutely. So that came and went and it wasn't really interesting because I never was able to like it. it. It's a long story. That game makes no sense. But my elementary school is one of those schools that got very into Marvel cards. And that's when it really actually happened where, um, you know, I would see like the you know, Spider-Man card, all, you know, all the Avengers, mm -hmm. the X, blah, blah, blah. And. I had the idea to like, let me see if I could like find out more about these dudes. So, you know, I tried some Spider-Man stuff and I was like, okay, I read a Spider-Man story. Now what do I do? I guess the X-Men. And then, you know, um, my plan was to then jump off of the X-Men and do Iron Man, but that just never happened, but just never got around <laughs> to it. And <laughs> I mean, I gotta say like, no disrespect to the Starkheads out there, but I have just never been able to access that character particularly. I've liked how he's been written in some stuff I've read recently, so I'm, I guess, like, intrigued to see where he goes now. I like this the dynamic that Jerry just wrote between him and Emma at the Hellfire Gala, so I'm, like, looking forward to seeing where that all goes. But I remember when I was a kid, like, Iron Man, like, there was just not... A lot there. I've never been like a tech heroes guy particularly, so that's already kind of a, a barrier. Like I was never into Gundam or anything like that, so it's kind of like a barrier to entry for me to begin with. But then he was just like this guy. He was like Batman, but rude. The thing about Iron Man that if I had jumped on the Iron Man, I think that would have been John Romita Jr. Mm. era. So it would have been cool. Yeah. It just literally just never happened is all, you know, like, <laughs> like somehow, like I went to the store and or whatever. I was like, I don't know. Should I still re look at comics? I was like, oh, there's the new of the X-Men. I'll just take a flip through. And, you know, and then I broke my my own rule. Just like I you know read one storyline and then see what else is out there. I just kept going with this one. So, you know, <laughs> so that is the whole story, except the actual feral story is actually very funny to me anyway. So I was over, I was out of town. I was over at my godbrother's house 
or my godparents' house, whatever. Your cousin who's like not your real cousin. I get it. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had some of my um, X-Men, Jim Lee X-Men with me. Mm -hmm. And he had some X-Force comics. And, you know, I abstractly knew that there was a thing called X-Force. So, you know, I was just looking at some of his. He was looking at some of mine, blah, blah, blah. For some strange reason, he had one, five, six, eleven. So I, I was looking at X Force number six. They're about to be attacked by the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, blah blah blah. But before that, it's a quiet issue. Yeah, I'm don't know any of these characters, but I'm just reading this comic. So Boom Boom and Cannonball are making a sandwich, and then the the energy just shifts. Because they realize that this person is behind them, and, <laughs> and they and boom, fucking boom, hate very, this girl. Very <laughs> negative about it. <laughs> and Cannonball's like, "Nah, just, just let it go." And I was like, "Yo, <laughs> this is." It was like very intense, and um, it was just. And the thing is, you get the whole because the way they wrote comics back then, it's so much different. Like, you get the whole story. They have to explain it to you again in every issue because they they didn't know you couldn't read digitally. There were no trades. It's the shooter philosophy of like every comic's your first comic. Exactly. And she's like explaining why she hates this girl. But like at the same time, (laughs) I have to say not reading X-Force number two. Right. The factor because it really is just like I'm just seeing this this girl flip out and be very angry at this other person who's just literally just sitting there and I'm like wow so I'm instantly I'm just like wow the optics of it also because it's like I mean Feral's a cat to be clear like if people are not familiar Feral is a lady who's a cat not like Cat's Eye a little bit different she basically just looks like evil Wolfsbane um, which we'll get to but she functionally replaces Wolfsbane when the book transitions from New Mutants to X-Force. Wolfsbane goes off to X-Factor with Peter David, where she will begin her long trail of suffering for the next <laughs> few decades. Never gets good for her. <laughs> but Farrell, Maria Calla Santos, is a Latina from the Bronx. She has a very different attitude from Rain's attitude, but is similarly like an animal person. That said, they call her Maria, you know, sometimes. And like, I got that she was Latina. She speaks Spanish sometimes. So the optics of like Boom Boom and Cannonball, just like, oh, we fucking hate this girl. If you haven't read issue two, (laughs) you're like... It's referred to... But you're just sort of like, well, so here's the thing. Because um, in issue two, it's... guys, if you haven't if you haven't read X-Force, in issue two, they're in a training exercise and Feral rips the shit out of Cannonball and everybody is so freaked out about it. Like she goes crazy and really hurts him bad. And that's what Boom Boom, who is in love with Cannonball, has a crush on Cannonball, whatever, is reacting to. But the thing that's really interesting is that having somebody describe that in retrospect is very different than witnessing right exactly so i'm just like well first of all these people are here and um and i got something about this too but um so they're here and she mentions offhand that like cable chewed her out and that's about it but um you're just like well if you're so so like you're 
the first thing you're thinking is like, this is obviously a bad thing happened, but it was definitely this person's fault. But also, like, relax, you know? Also, like, chill out. It's <laughs> yeah. not that serious. Um, it, I had put together later by reading the re- letters that, like, people were just angry. They were just like, wait, wait, wait. So nothing happened about that. So that's why they threw in this line offhand, like, oh, Cable uh, yelled at you and we're right. supposed to be okay with that. Or, like, basically covering up the fact that they did not address it until that moment. <laughs> right. Well, here's <laughs> the, the thing funny- that's important to remember about the first 12 issues of X-Force. <laughs> the first 12 issues of X-Force are plotted by Rob Liefeld but they are scripted by Fabian Niciesa. And Fabian is working his ass off <laughs> to make these plots sing in a way. That, but it, there's just not always a logical progression from issue to issue because Fabian no. is really scripted as best he can based on a plot that is not his plot outline. And like, yeah, you can you, definitely tell when you grow up and look at it again. You're like, oh, you're my like, God. Oh, like there's a disconnect here between what the characters are saying and what the characters are doing. And then yeah. once you hit issue 13 and Fabian's on the whole shebang because Liefeld quit to go to Image. It's suddenly a lot more cohesive as a book. You're like, oh, the characters are saying things that make more sense with the plot that's unfolding around them. My favorite Niciesa bit of that kind of thing, I've mentioned this on the show before, is like they were very much doing Marvel method art first in this era. And there's that moment in Executioner's song where Psylocke does like a stupid sexy ninja pose and Boom Boom goes, nice pose, Psylocke, but it's not helping a lot or whatever. You know, like it's very, it's very much he got this page in and was like, what the fuck am I supposed to have them say about this? She's just doing a sex pose. Uh, (laughs) But at least there he was presumably plotting it before he got the art. Marvel method is complicated. Well, it's not that complicated, actually, but it's, it's not the way people think about comics being written. It would be that they would plot the issue and then the artist would draw it however they wanted and then they would add the dialogue. So it was Stan Lee's method because Stan Lee didn't want to write a script. Stan Lee wanted to <laughs> write three paragraphs and then have Jack draw it and then decide <laughs> what the characters should say, which worked for them. So, you know, until it didn't. <laughs> but yeah, no, so the, these early issues things just kind of happen and then and things happen because Rob Liefeld thinks they would be cool to draw. So like Feral freaks out at the training exercise. It's like a cool action sequence thing to draw, but the characters don't then like talk about it because that would be a conversation that humans would have. Right. So they just sort of shove it in later in like, yeah, six or something like that. I forget which one it is. I don't know that he intended it to be that extreme. And I think people took it extremely, which is why, like, then you have the patching, the patchwork that had to come up in issues by by the time of issue six. Because remember, we're not because the reactions don't happen. Right. No one's tweeting about it. They have to wait until they get letters. And by that point, you've written and drawn three more issues. So and then by that point, it's like, oh, wait, now we're correcting this. And so the funniest thing that I think I think this is the funniest thing in the world. So like the entire thing for me is this big um, accident, like this big leftover pocket space that shouldn't even be there. You know, like like the whole thing that I got in on was was just like the space between mistakes. Right. 
Well, you know, it's funny. Like when I had Fabian on the show, I, I was asking him about Betsy and Conan because I was obsessed with that Silac and Revanche storyline as a kid. And he was just like, that's one of the worst pieces of shit I ever wrote. And like, I don't remember. It's been 35 years. And it's just one of those things where, yeah, I was captivated by a story that he wrote specifically because he had made a continuity error and needed to fix it. And it was just flying month to month. It didn't get corrected on the continuity error until he'd already written and published like four issues where the error was continuing. So it's just one of those things that we don't appreciate now reading it back as much is how you would release these issues truly into a vacuum. Like you didn't know what was going to happen. There was no way to gauge it. You had to wait for people to write physical letters and mail them to the Marvel bullpen <laughs> to see if people liked the issue or not. And so that's where, I mean, that's where the no prizes came from. It's like Stan used to award them in the letters column because by the time you're writing in with like, there's a huge plot hole in this issue, it's too late to fix it, babe. Like we can't fix it next month. That's not going to happen. We can't do the lettering pass that'll change that. The next three issues have already come out. So, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Um, but that's funny that you immediately felt defensive of this character because you didn't have the context. I get that. I think that a lot of the time where you come in with a character affects how you feel about that character. When... I tell people sometimes about things that characters they like have done in the past. They're like, wait, what? And that's part of the fun <laughs> of this show is like tracing all of it so that I can make jokes about, you know, Emma murdering a pony to manipulate a teenage girl. And people can be like, what? And I'm like, no, it's hilarious. Let me tell you all about it because it's insane. And the nice thing about these characters with such long histories is that usually with a few exceptions weird outlier moments like that don't taint the character forever with Farrell, her problem is that's like her third appearance ever right she just kind of gets shoved into the spicy latina angry violent role and i don't think she's ever quite escaped it she has the unenviable position of being the antagonist within the team which is always a tricky character to be like the one that nobody likes very much who's mean to everyone but unlike monet for example who fills that role in generation x for a lot of that book's run she doesn't really have anything that the other characters want or need like, Monet is beautiful and smart and rich and has all of these great superpowers and is useful in a fight. And, like, Feral is just kind of, like, a mean cat. And it's, like, <laughs> why? it's sort of like, well, why is this cat here? Like, we could just get rid of her. That would be fine. And uh, eventually, she kind of gets that the vibes are off and bounces. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it makes a lot more sense in like a modern context. But when I go back and look at that stuff, it really doesn't, it really doesn't gel. A lot of it just doesn't gel because she's not really like, she's very barely a character, right. you know? Uh, she barely has like any kind of consistency. And one of the and one of the really odd things about her is that in every non X Force 
appearance because she was a new character. So new characters had to go everywhere. Sure. Yeah. They always wrote her very weird because like, I guess I I don't even know why, because X-Force was like their top seller. So it was a big book. You'd think that people would have been reading it. But quite honestly, I think that they were not (laughs) like, I think that people looked at it and were like, what the hell is this? I mean, I just feel like if it was your job to do it, you know, <laughs> you would think. You would think. <laughs> I mean, there's not a whole lot of reading to do, but whatever. I just think if I'm the writer on Captain America, I'm not necessarily picking up some issues of X Force to make sure I'm characterizing Feral correctly. I, oh, I can under- definitely not. That's why she was there because it was about <laughs> werewolves. It was about dogs, and she's dogs. a cat. <laughs> that is endlessly happening to her, which is really funny. Which is that because her design is ambiguous as to, I mean she just looks like Wolfsbane who is a dog she's always getting caught up in weird schemes involving like dog mutants or supernatural werewolves or whatever and every time some editor on wikipedia or fandom wikia or whatever has to be like this is curious as feral of course is a cat not a dog <laughs> she does look exactly like she just stepped off the stage of Andrew Lloyd Webber's cats. Like she definitely has that, (laughs) but like the hair is right out of cats. She looks like she's about to have memories all alone in the moonlight, but like for whatever reason, maybe because the cat girls tend to be like sexier, like Tigra kind of characters. So maybe people just assumed she was a dog because she was like more, butch interesting i just feel like there's a lot of very interesting ideas that liefeld seemed to have and i don't think that he like i don't think he fully developed those thoughts really because like no definitely like a sexy intent and it's also (laughs) but it's not like deeply Belt. You know, you're just the like sexy intent is something that I think is really fascinating with Rob Liefeld, because uh, one thing that we should mention is that Farrell's gay, but not because Rob Liefeld wrote her that way or even Fabian Iciesa wrote her that way. Just because uh, every Rob Liefeld character turns out to be gay, pretty much. True. I was asked recently why I think that is. I mean, Tony Oliveira joked that it's because Rob Liefeld was cursed by a witch, but I think that. <laughs> It specifically is that gay male culture in particular is really hyper obsessed with hyper masculinity and with like the extremes of the male form. And so is Rob Liefeld in a way that on Rob Liefeld's part is extremely heterosexual, but it vibes to the rest of the world as like very Tom of Finland, right? So it's very easy for those male characters to just be like, there's something a little fruity about this guy. There just is in the way that like Judas Priest is, that's not just cool leather guys. Like (laughs) it's, it's it's also a vibe that's happening. And I think that that even crossed over to the women to some extent because his obsession with musculature and like frenetic action sequences there's something very butch about tempo about feral and it's those two characters that mike carey put together as a couple in age of x once you do that you know i mean gay in an alternate timeline well 
it's not that big a leap to then say the character is gay in the regular timeline, right? Well, also, you're going to have to be the expert on this one. But as far as my understanding is, it's not a, like a real alternate timeline. So it's, it's a reality really warp. So it is them. On the other hand, Betsy and Iceman are a couple in that reality warp. I guess what I mean is, is that like, the implication is that Legion wasn't he has infinite powers, but he's not like, doesn't have infinite attention. He's just right. kind of using the raw material. He just so. kind of threw the characters into like roles in the scenario. It wasn't, right. you know, that. Like but, he, he wasn't sitting there like really worrying about. Uh, he didn't say let's make feral gay. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But even in that story, Farrell's been dead for a long time when it starts. Like, Heather calls out for her because Heather is dying, and Rogue is like, Maria's dead, honey, but don't worry. I'm going to absorb your memories into my legacy network or whatever. It's a great... Age of X is really great, guys, but... Speaking of which, one thing that uh, they need to clarify for me is how she died in their imagination there because i've noticed that in alternate realities feral dies a lot and oh i feel like she always <laughs> dies slightly off panel with like some like being exploded with like some tufts of hair floating she does explode into tufties a lot yeah i really like to think if you think about her as being like a very passionate but very bad actor and like she that's like her move she's just like I will have a death scene and in the death scene, you will pan away for a moment. <laughs> she like tears out a little bit of her hair and just kind of goes poof. When she actually dies in the Wolverine solo, much, much later. Oh, she, she for real dies and that's in real life and that is not her choice. But it's also exactly that though, where Wolverine's like, where's Feral? And Thorne is like, she's over there. And then we turn the corner and Sabretooth is eating Feral. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty gross. <laughs> it's foul. I'm just saying, it's very much an off-panel occurrence. Like, she's a very off-panel character. One of my favorite things is that she defects to the MLF and then doesn't really show up again. <laughs> and then pops up just to be sent to prison. She shows up one time yeah. in that interim. And X-Force Annual 3, the uh, Daniel Moonstar deep cover... Yes. Uh, story. Mike Wearingo. Yes. God, he was good. Yeah. One for Mike. I'm not going to pour my coffee on the floor, but uh, <laughs> the, the he principal. Was very good and gone too soon. Too soon. So I guess we should sort of start at the beginning because we're hopping around. And, and the thing about Feral is Feral doesn't have that many stories to tell. So we will. But she could. It's just that the history of Feral <laughs> is limited. Farrell debuts in New Mutants 98, which is one of the last issues of New Mutants, which ends at 100 and then turns into X-Force. She is one of several new characters that Rob Liefeld just kind of throws into the book. Uh, Domino, who later will turn out to be copycat. Uh, Shatterstar. And if you just said, what? What are you talking about? Don't worry, we'll get to that in a Domino episode at some point, because it's confusing. But uh, Shatterstar, Feral, Domino, and then the pre-existing characters Warpath and Siren. 
who step in because Liefeld had written out pretty much the entire cast of New Mutants by the end of New Mutants. <laughs> uh, Farrell steps in to replace Wolfsbane functionally, as we said. She basically is literally just sexy, evil Wolfsbane. Like, they have the same character design. They have the same weird triangle hair that a lot of characters had in the 90s that's, like, kind of Wolverine-esque. But more, it's big. Wild side of the MLF. Also, Rob Liefeld loved a triangle head moment. Yeah, I gotta tell you, drawing characters, it it's good. It's really it's really fun. <laughs> like, let's just throw a triangle on their head. Why not? Uh so Farrell is introduced. She is one of the Morlocks, but she has run away from Morlock society because she doesn't get along with Mask, who is now leading the Morlocks in the absence of Callisto, because Callisto got turned into a supermodel. Go back to the Callisto episode. Uh, <laughs> it's a long story. Farrell ends up recruited by Cable to join the new X-Force squad. In the second issue, she tears Cannonball to ribbons, as we mentioned. And so the team's not super fond of Farrell, generally speaking. Then it turns out that she has a sister, Lucia, codenamed Thorn, who is sort of Mask's right hand with the Morlocks now at this point. And they conspire with Toad's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. This is the one that includes Pyro and the Blob and Sauron and Fantasia to uh, hunt down Feral. It's like, you know, uh, uh, Thorn says that like Mask's biggest mistake as leader has been letting Feral escape. And I'm like, I... I feel like that's not true, but I understand that they ha that she has a vested interest in Feral not escaping. But I'm just kind of like, I feel like Mask's leadership of the Morlocks is sort of a parade of bad decisions, including this alliance with the Brotherhood that he and Thorne set up, which gets Mask straight up killed by the end of the absolutely issue. Absolutely executed. <laughs> Cable just kills the shit out of that guy. Uh, <laughs> and... and Thorn, meanwhile, can't even bring herself to kill Feral because she's just like, you are my baby sister. I hate you, but I can't kill you. And so she just kind of runs away. Thorn, when I was a kid, I thought Thorn was like a cool design, but looking, and I still do. Like she, I think she has a more, again, she also looks like an extra from the ensemble of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats, but she has a more interesting wig situation going on. It's kind of like long and like tufts out in weird ways. So I remember thinking like that character looks more interesting. Feral just looks like Wolfsbane, but rereading Thorn is kind of a flop. I I have to say, <laughs> I'm sorry to the thorn stands out there. I would love to see that character developed a little more, but I feel like you'd have to do both of them, right? Like you'd have to do something with both of these characters. You can't just well, they both they fell on hard times popularity wise, so they had sure to start did. Yeah. together. <laughs> right. Like I do feel like they would be a Marvel Legends two pack. You know what I mean? Like you're not gonna. <laughs> I think they are. Are they? Is there a Marvel Legends Thorn? My God! No, not a Marvel Legends. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about the little little bitty guys from oh, one of those. Oh, oh, like yeah, no, sure, for sure. Yeah, I think they come in a two pack. Thorn. Otherwise, you may remember from the Marrow episode if you've been a listener for a long time. She's the one who tries to help little Sarah, the Morlock orphan, before Mikhail fucks everything up. Like Thorn is the one Morlock who doesn't get sucked away by Mikhail to the hill. 
Uh, so she's just kind of like sitting in the tunnels, lighting candles, like, well, this sucks. <laughs> and that's where, you know, Thorne kind of has a realization that like she wants to be a good, helpful member of society, uh, which will lead to problems with Feral further down the road. Meanwhile, Feral uh, ends up in a Captain America story where she and other werewolves like Werewolf by Night and whatnot are mind controlled. The fact that Feral is not a werewolf <laughs> does not come up. Love it. She's, you know, she's a guy's girl. Like she's the cat, but she's here with all the dogs. Like she's the one. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like when like somebody like gets cast for a role and it's like a completely different race than they are, you know? <laughs> and then it's like, no, 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 I gotta work. I gotta work. Farrell's just sitting around like, here I am. I'm a dog. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. You know, yeah. it's just one of those things. Feral is around. She does things. She's just kind of there. Nobody likes her. She flirts with Shatterstar sometimes, which is fun. She calls him Shatty Buns. That's where he gets that nickname. Feral and Shatterstar both being pretty gay makes those scenes funnier in retrospect. Oh, yeah. But also, like, Shatterstar is pretty. Like, if I were a lesbian cat, I might flirt with Shatterstar. The hair is so long and lustrous. Yeah, she's got a lot of, like confused feelings going on it's very obvious like she also might be bisexual no one's asked her i'm just we, we just we, we haven't checked in with feral in a long time well whenever i think about what this character is up to i think it's not just that she's like a cat it's more that she actually like she's not an actual cat like she was like a regular person right she's not cat size she doesn't turn into a cat she just like beast is like a furry person her entire, like, mentality and disposition is that of a house cat, which means that, like, like house cats are pretty much like, you seem chill. I'm going to rub your leg, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's going to feed me now. What's the what's what's going on with the food situation? And also, I'm I'm bored with you now. So uh, get out of get no, like get out of my face, or I'm going to slash you. You know, like you yeah, know, like or I'm going to join the feline liberation front. I mean, like that is very much what happens. <laughs> She's just kind of like. I'm tired of this. I'm running away. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so. Any any anything that seems confusing, uh, well, not in the again, not the um side stories like Captain America or Marvel UK ones, but like anything in the main stories about that involve the character that seems weird. I'm like, what would a cat do? I'm like, okay, it makes sense now. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, absolutely. So. Basically, from the minute that Fabian takes over the book more extensively, as he said in the Adam X episode, which is great, check it out if you haven't heard it, but basically he was like, how do I get rid of this character? Because he was like, she's just nasty to everyone. She's not, a, like, she's not fun. There's nothing I could do with this. So, in his view. So, what happens is... 
The Mutant Liberation Front, led by Rainfire, who in Nicias's imagining is an evil sunspot. Uh, go to the sunspot episode for more on Rainfire, who will never have his own episode. Uh, <laughs> Take but, that, Bobby. But he was an evil Habeja de Koshta from a future timeline stuff. It was, don't worry about it. Point is, after Strife gets shanked in Executioner's Song, the MLF has a leadership vacuum and it is filled by Rainfire, who is basically Sunspot but evil in a long curly wig. Uh, the MLF decides to assassinate Henry Peter Gyrick. Now, this is a situation where I'm kind of team feral on this one, I gotta say, because... <laughs> Especially reading it now, because like as a kid, I'm like, no, that's wrong. But now I'm just like, <laughs> lady's got a point. Farrell's just like, why are we trying to save Henry Peter Gyrick? He has spent literally the last 15 years of X-Men comics trying to kill all mutants. Like, <laughs> he's the Sentinel guy. He's the government yeah. guy who runs Project Wide Awake. Let them kill him. Like, they've kidnapped him, just let them deal with it, and then it's nobody's problem. And X-Force is, like, the more extreme team. Cable's training them as terrorists, essentially. Like, they are themselves a paramilitary organization. That's why the MLF is also sort of an escalation of the Brotherhood to contrast them. Uh, but they're still like, no, we can't possibly let these terrorists kill beloved government official Henry Peter Gyron. So, like, that'll be bad for mutants, you know what I mean? Yeah. So Rainfire comes to Farrell and he's like, hey girl, hey. I've got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> what if I gave you some pounce treats and a little catnip mouse and you came over to my house <laughs> And you and me kill Henry Peter Gyrick. You want to kill Gyrick with me? And she's like, I would love to kill Henry Peter Gyrick with you. Because he's been talking to her the whole time, too. <laughs> so, like, she went from, like, apathetic to, like, actually. She's like, so actually, though, I hate this guy personally now. Like, last time I reread that issue, it was so, like, sad to see the way it was drawn. Because, like, there's a panel where you can see both like you can see Farrell and Gyrick on one ha half, and the um, the IPAC unit there, like escape pod on the other side. Like, oh, she was so close. She was old, <laughs> gonna stay in the series. She was so close, but she couldn't take his fucking guy anymore. I'm sorry. I know that we're here to rescue this guy, but this is the most unbearable white man I've ever sat in a room ever. with for more than five minutes, and uh, I'm gonna kill him now. <laughs> so also something that absolutely I, I, I should have wrote it to you for the cable episode but I love this one thing about cable is that he's ex like he's extremely like military dude but he's dumb as hell oh oh like he's, he's like Homer Simpson dumb and this is <laughs> he does, where he's just like okay I need my most erratic unreliable like right. who can who can protect who can protect solo <laughs> solo protect our unpowered asset who should i assign to keep track of this kidnapping victim who's a very important government official that we just rescued from a terrorist organization <laughs> he hates mutants by the way just fucking hates them he could have done siren 
Farrell. How about Farrell? Yeah, no. You, you got, listen, you could just list them off. Richter, Warpath, Shatterstar, Cannonball, Boom Boom. Great choices. All. You got a whole, a panoply of choices of people who would not immediately turn around and try to kill Henry Peter They Geyer. all would have done the job. Yes, question. they would have complained about it, but like amongst themselves, and they would have gotten the job done. Farrell ain't got time for that. Farrell's done. In the issue before, when they start the thing, like there's this part where like they're like staking out the MLF and like Cable's like has his hand over Farrell's mouth. Like he cannot even contain <laughs> like her to like not blow their cover and get killed. And he's just like, okay, now I'm gonna handle the fight. You person you, who I don't Farrell, trust to not make a sound. Whose code name is Farrell. Literal code name. I would like you. <laughs> Excuse me, Rumple Teaser. Would you go over here and guard the most important part of this whole mission? Who you hate? Cool. So she tries to kill him. Cable turns around and shoots her with a stun gun, which is also funny. Yeah. But then Rainfire swoops in and carries her away to be one of his evil minions. And then she fully is just like not around. As you noted, Io, she's in that Danny Moonstar spotlight in the annual. Yeah. Then she turns up eventually again for X-Wars 40 and 41, <laughs> the big feral story. And I have to say, I feel this way about a lot of Nisiesa X-Force. Rereading these, I was like, this is good. Like, this is good stuff. It's very unfair, though. It's a very brutal character assassination of our girl, Farrell. Not that there was much of a character to assassinate, but it really just keeps going. It's him saying, I am writing this character out, and you are going to deal with it. <laughs> like, she is It actually done. creates more characterization to assassinate. That's the thing, is that, like, you can't be mad about this issue, really, because before this issue, she got nothing. So, okay, we're going to reveal that she's a psychopath, but it's like, yeah, but it's fun. I mean, it's not funny, haha. It's a pretty dark issue, but she's fun in it. I like her basically just being like, yeah, of course I killed him. Of course I killed her. Of course I killed these people. What else would I have done in this situation? You dumb bitch to her sister. Like, yeah, it doesn't quite land, I think, the way that it's meant to land, which is like, wow. Our friend Farrell was actually this incredibly evil person. It's more just like, wow, poverty and abuse can really fuck somebody up. And I think that that is what's interesting about it. For the listeners, if you're unfamiliar, this is a two-parter where Thorne is arrested by Code Blue, which is like the NYPD's task force to fight superhumans and mutants and as guardians like whatever turns up you know it's they're sort of like heavily trained for superhero situations cops her best friend from childhood jose is now detective hidalgo with code blue they all grew up together in the south bronx and he has decided to investigate a cold case which is the mysterious deaths of the entire Caya Santos family besides Maria and Lucia. The evidence suggests that Thorne, Lucia, is guilty, and so they arrest her. And 
rat that she is, Thorne immediately <laughs> screams. True. I didn't kill my family. She did. Tears coming out and everything. They're like, you get one phone call and Thorne calls Cable, whose number she has, I guess. Cable goes and meets with her, like pretends to be her lawyer and goes to meet with her. Cable does have a law degree, but it's... The- <laughs> We find out in this issue. <laughs> he got it via time travel. So. <laughs> I think that's funny. But so Cable's like, okay, I will help you, Thorn, because you are innocent. I believe you. Which, sure. Uh, I mean, to be fair, Feral hasn't given Cable much reason to trust her at this point <laughs> and has been missing for 20 issues. So <laughs> and Cable's like, listen, why don't you move thorn to like a secure location on rikers and i will bring you feral and we'll clear this all up and so they're transporting thorn to rikers where she'll be safe and <laughs> it's like Qual? yeah well it's the 90s it's like our, our i think yeah. our thoughts on rikers island have evolved as a culture over the last 30 years but the friends of humanity attack the transport to kill thorn because she's like a mutant terrorist they are keen on doing that they just don't like mutants. Yeah, I mean, she she could be a mutant ice cream truck vendor. They would want to kill her anyway. But so they attack and X-Force grabs Thorn from the battle and saves her and brings her with them to the tenement in the South Bronx where she and Feral grew up. Cable has also like lured Feral to this location. And we get the backstory, which is honestly really really dark and something that I'm not sure you would get away with now in a Marvel comic. I mean, I guess like Wilhelmina Kensington had uh, an incest abuse backstory in Marauders recently, but this is really visceral. I mean, you see a lot of it. Basically, Feral and Lucia had two younger siblings, Mateo and Carolina, They were born to an abusive family. After Carolina was born, their father abandoned the family and later died of a drug overdose. Marcella, their mother, blamed the children for the fact that he had left, blamed Carolina specifically. Having that last child drove him over the edge or whatever. Now, note that like this was a guy who was beating them anyway, so it was not, or at least beating his wife, The implication that's made throughout the issue, and this is never, it's left ambiguous. Mateo and Carolina both die under mysterious circumstances. Carolina falls down the stairs while Maria is babysitting and dies, like breaks her neck. And Lucia says that when she looked up at the top of the stairs, she saw Maria there smiling. And then later, Mateo was looking to play with the pigeons that Maria kept on the roof. She has like these pigeons that she feeds who live up on top of the building. This is where I think Nisiesa makes the character like deep in a lot of interesting ways because Thorne is painting her as like this total sociopath, right? Except we see that Feral, this child who like, Thorne is trying to paint as like Rhoda Penmark from the Bad Seed, right? Also was caring for these wild animals 
I mean, feral meaning like a stray cat, right? Like she's, she clearly cares about these animals that are innocent. Mateo fell off the roof while he was chasing one of the pigeons. And there's a bit about how he like grabbed on for a second, but couldn't hold on and fell. Uh, and Lucia says that she killed them. Maria claims that she didn't, but that she did watch them die and didn't try to help. Now, that is a crime, but she was a child in a really messed up situation where her mother spent all their days talking about how these little kids needed to die because they had ruined everybody's life. So it's a very weird situation, right? After the deaths of their younger siblings, their mother gets a new boyfriend, Harry Bellinger, who is a drug addict and a drunk, and uh, gets her really hooked on coke. Or, you know, I, I think the implication here is, like, it's the crack epidemic, but it's not really said that explicitly. You're still in the era where it's just drugs. Yeah, know? but, like, they say cocaine at one point, but I think it's oh, specifically... Like, also, the earlier one was, like, the when the father died... It was like that was just like a drug overdose, I think, right? Yeah. I think they said like he was found in an alley with a needle in his arm. Right. So it's like heroin or something. Right. It's pretty vague. But this is very like war on drugs, like dare era kind of stuff. This is 93 or 94, actually. So Yeah. yeah. Bellinger gets their mother hooked on drugs and also starts molesting them. Their mother looks the other way and they are young like they are like 10 and 12 right like it's this is uh, there are lots of characters female characters in superhero comics who have sexual trauma in their backstories but something about this feels very real in a way that like i don't know rereading it i was just like man like you see a lot of the flashback panels and they're very unpleasant i mean it's not graphic but it's unpleasant there is a pretty graphic panel of the final thing which is that when lucia was 17 and she has started to develop her mutation like she's getting like little tufts of fur or whatever but she's not fully like thorned out yet he grabs her and tries to drag her into an alley and rape her and seeing it makes maria who is only 15 at this point it makes her mutation fully catalyzed. She becomes feral and she murders him right there to protect her sister. The two girls hide the body. Their mother knows Maria did it, like won't be deterred from that belief. And as revenge goes up to the roof and murders all of Feral's pigeons, the pets she'd been keeping at the top of the building. And when Feral sees that, she goes back downstairs and kills her mother. And then they ran away and joined the Morlocks. And it's interesting to me because it's a reiteration of the Skids storyline. Skids was abused by her father, physically abused by her father and ran away. And is very much like an innocent victim who winds up with the Morlock. She's pretty even. She can't be touched by a mask, like, because of her force field. She's sort of the lost flower in the sewer, right? And then these girls, who are also runaways, are runaways because they are 
victims, but also aggressors themselves. And if you didn't have the bit with the younger siblings, this would be a pretty straightforwardly sympathetic backstory, I think. And so the part that gets tricky is it almost feels like the younger siblings had to be added so that we would understand that Farrell is morally unsalvageable, even if killing Bellinger and killing her mother was more understandable. You know, I don't know. What's your take on this story as a big Farrell fan? Well, you already know what I'm going to say. Farrell did nothing wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I think blaming a six-year-old, presuming she didn't push them. She was, this is exactly what I was going to say. She was six years old. That is first grade. She was also, I know that there's often a disconnect between art and, uh, and script, but she's, they said she was six years old. They drawing her in like the jumper and the pigtails. I was like, you can't convict a six year old of murder. That's no, that's just this that, is that not, is a thing. not a thing. <laughs> no. And also, also, this is something that I that like when I was a kid reading this, it didn't really occur to me because when you're a kid, you're very you know just like when you watch movies, kids are very much like they take on the responsibility of adults when they watch the movie, but legally there is no responsibility of a single digit child like she's basically been abandoned by adults yeah she's um, i mean the idea that the six-year-old is babysitting is neglect exactly. to begin with that is child neglect and also the, and this is where i get morally confused because in real life this first of all in real life i find it very difficult to have gotten this far because and this is going to sound bad so just like bear with me but you have child protective services which can be very aggressive yeah particularly with families of color and i would imagine particularly with mutant families of color but i find it very difficult to believe that uh you know a, a, a a family of people of color can have one of their children first of all if you're impoverished and one of your children just dies in an accident and just like who saw this like CPS oh my is- gonna be all over like mateo does not die because the kids are no exactly after carolina fell down the stairs they would all have been snatched and even if the person the caseworker because there's absolutely a caseworker for this for sure yes but even if the caseworker somehow bungled it and and didn't do that which is disastrous for a lot of families, but also would have been necessary in this case. Right. Even if that didn't do that, by the second time a by kid, then the second kid dies? died, falling off of a tall thing, they would have been like, first of all, that caseworker would have been fired, and then the kids would have been the remaining, like, they never would have gotten past. Like, they shouldn't have gotten past that first death. Right. And they definitely but the second one the idea the idea that maria and lucia are still with their mother after the second child dies in new york city in the bronx i don't believe i don't buy it i don't buy it i simply don't buy it (laughs) oh this is again in the crack (laughs) epidemic when they were eager 
to take kids it away from these women. They love to break up a brown they family. They love to take an Afro-Latino woman's children away. That would be like the, uh, like, oh, we found a crack do. pipe, you're gone. Oh my God. Foster care, babe. Like There's that. absolutely no way in this reality. <laughs> I'm just Because I do read them as Dominican. There's nothing to like suggest that specifically, but just based on. Oh, I thought on, they were Puerto Rican. Are they said to be matter. Puerto Rican? It doesn't matter. I'm just saying, I think they're like Afro-Latina specifically. I mean, it matters. They're cat people, people, so it's hard to tell. But I guess actually when they get depowered, in House of M, they yeah. are light skinned, but also when they get depowered in House of M, they call each other the wrong names. So I they think definitely that... do because uh, they they nobody. Can, it's funny that they made the cut. And yeah, they, <laughs> and yet they call each other the wrong names, <laughs> and they're white. So you're kind of like, well, I mean, I don't know. I choose not to. That that appearance is obviously canon. Interesting thing. Um, I was just I don't I think they're definitely funny. not white, is what I'll say. They're positioned as yeah. a racial other in this story, and also within the context of the mutant metaphor, within the context of X Force. She and Richter speak Spanish to each other a lot when she's on the team. She's meant to be seen as a racial other. I think. Oh, absolutely. I just. It was only very recently that I was like, are they supposed to be Cuban? You know, because like, like, what, what is their I, deal? I yeah. have absolutely no idea. And I just realized this because when I, I, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but in New York, when people are of Spanish descent, a lot of times people just default and just call them Puerto Rican. Right. I assume Puerto Rican or Dominican would be the most logical for a Marvel character. Not to right, suggest so that it's because there are lots of other kinds of Latino people in New York. But if you're looking at a comic book character who's Latino yeah. from New York, they're usually Puerto Rican. So basically what I want to say is that uh, I haven't I haven't really examined the fine print. I'm not sure if it was ever said. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that they're definitely one ethnicity or another. Right. They're definitely brown folks from New York who speak Spanish. Yes. And when I Googled Kaya Santos to try and see. It's not that, a real name. It's is not it? real, girl. What's the first result? <laughs> what is the first result? The first result is Maria Kaya Santos or 616, <laughs> fictional you? character. So I did that like last week to prepare. Yep. I was like, I just want to. I was like, let me, because I was like, I was like, is the, is it Puerto Rican? Is it Dominican? Is it? Is there, it's not a name, is what it is. So here, here's my um thing. Um, okay, check this out. This is real quick. So I believe there's the mis the name is a mistake because I believe it's supposed to be hyphenated. Mm. Kaya. So, there's a famous musician named Maria Kaya. Maria Callas. Callas? Oh. The opera singer. My dad. Well, I guess the thing is, because the first time the name is introduced, it's broken. So it's unclear from that. I mean, it's broken on the lines. Yeah, so it's yeah. It's unclear whether it's meant to be a hyphenated last name. I find it hard to believe that Rob Liefeld named this character after opera diva oh, Maria Callas. Oh, this is, but this is it, it's Nisieza who names her, who gives her yeah, a civilian name, right? he names her in X-Force 25 because Exodus is telepathic. He just right. addresses and he addresses them by name. their real names. I was like, that's gotta be in Fabian's. Yeah, no. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, Fabian might make a Maria Callas reference. Maria Callas is Greek. No, but okay. but no, I, but it is always. I always do think of Maria Callas when I see the name Maria Caya Santos because it is right there. 
I tried to think of what it would mean in Spanish, and like Kaya Santos would be like quieting the saints, silencing the saints. I don't know. Like, so is it like a? Well, she definitely sainted some people. And yeah, them, right. right, and quieted. <laughs> well, and and like, yeah. I mean, she's someone who it, it does suggest like silencing the the good people is the name kind of, which is an interesting. But my well, Spanish that would be a way cooler name than Pharaoh. I know, right? But my <laughs> my Spanish is un poquito solamente, so I'm not, you know, super great. But uh, that that's sort of that was the best I could figure out. Lucia means light, so there is sort of the suggestion like she's the good sister and Farrell is the bad sister. But that's kind of it, really. We don't get much more. I mean, I I think this story is interesting. My problem with it is that Farrell does sort of get demonized by the end of it because. If you read it, and again, this maybe this has to do with the way it's scripted versus the way it's drawn, you know, because I, I pulled the panel, or the it's two panels, but when she and Thorne are fighting, and Thorne has revealed their whole sordid backstory to X-Force, Thorne says, I was the older sister, but I was scared. But you? You never were. And Pharaoh says, scared of what, Lucia? Of mama drunk every night? of Harry trying to paw at us after she passed it on the couch. I wasn't scared about any of that. I was angry about it. And then she slashes at her sister. And I'm like, go off, queen. Like, I'm just, like, like, I have no, it's drawn like she's a crazy monster. But I'm like, yeah, I would be pretty pissed off too. Yeah. You've been abused and neglected since you were a small child. You have been molested by this disgusting man who came into your life when you were like 10 for the last several years. And you killed him to protect your sister who is now narking on you to the fucking cops. Yeah, that 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 hurts. That hurts. That hurts. I killed him for you. For you. Bitch. (laughs) Are you you serious serious right now? Wow! 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 I killed the guy who was literally about to violently rape you in an alleyway. Our stepfather, by the way. I murdered the shit out of him for you. Yeah. What was your alternative solution to this problem, Lucia? Like, that's, that's really the thing that goes unsaid here is no one has stepped in to help them. Like, we have to set aside that CPS presumably would have stepped in at some point they didn't and listen they they didn't families fall through the cracks right so like things can happen too yeah but you know no one was coming to help them so it was like what are we just gonna let this go on and let this be our life and she said no yeah it's wild because like um i want to say i want to say jay miles when they talked about this is like I may be misremembering, but I feel like it's just sort of like a nobody's wrong here, like mm-hmm. from their from their experiences, you know, like right. like of course she was scared. Of course, it's a horrifying thing to go through, and and of course, on the other hand, Maria is absolutely just fueled by this, this like like rage supercharged by it. Like these are valid. Yeah. Like, and normal responses to this type of abuse and trauma. And, and I think that that's what is 
a missed opportunity with this character. Exactly. There is something really powerful. I mean, honestly, to contrast her to Rain, Rain is a character who also grew up abused by a father figure. And Rain's response has always been to contain herself and to make herself smaller and smaller and smaller until finally she does snap and eat him. But... But not until much, much later. And that hasn't happened yet by the point in the comics we're at. Farrell is someone who's abused by this father figure and is like, no, I, I'm going to fucking kill him. And does. Yeah. And feels no remorse about it whatsoever. Not, a, not even a bit. I bet she slept eight like and a, a half hours. baby. The only yeah. thing that, the thing that she, I think, I think the thing that does bug her is that she killed her mother she did that because she was angry because her mother killed her pets that's like but that is like also i'm sorry it's been what 18 years of your mother abusing you and treating you like shit like uh, again i'm just not justice for feral is kind of how i feel about it now the question is oh yeah the question is did she kill the, the younger siblings now Falling off a high height because you got pushed is something that would, I mean, cats do that, right? So it is like logical that much like your cat will push your paperweight off the desk, she just kind of nudged him and they fell. Again, though, six years old. And constantly being told by her mother, our lives are terrible because I had more kids after you. Yeah. So at a certain point, it's like how liable, I mean, like, you can't, but they do. They arrest her for these murders and send her to prison for life. And Thorne, by the way, who did dispose of the body and flee with Feral into the sewers and cover this up for years, she's fine. You're free to go because you're friends well, I mean, with the cop. He's like your best friend from when you were kids. I mean, even giving information shouldn't shouldn't get you off but i mean i I mean sometimes it does but like full like not even a misdemeanor like (laughs) so here's my here here's here's what i i'm not saying thorns should go to jail either i'm just saying like come on guys the way i see it is like the way i see what the facts probably are the pharaoh absolutely did not kill those little kids. I don't think she killed them. I kids. think she was indifferent. Yes, like a cat. Even little kids, exactly. But even little kids can... It's weird. Little. First of all, little kids are not culpable. But also, they can be a little bit like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah. I think she wished them ill. And when she saw them doing something dangerous, she did not interfere. I don't even know if it's that deep. Like, I feel like a lot of kids kind of are inactive because they don't really think things are very, I don't think they have the full cause and effect at six. Sure. No, I agree. I'm not, I'm not making her culpable at all, but I'm just saying, I don't think she pushed them. I don't. And the comic never says that she did. It's just implied. And Lucia, well, Lucia insists that she did. And it definitely (laughs) plants it in your head because Lucia is the character we're meant to trust in this scenario. I'm just inclined to think, I mean, here's the thing. If she did push him, I still think she was six years old and abused and crazy because she was being abused and whatever. Like, that's a child who needs help, not a child who needs to go to prison. Exactly. But more to the point, 
I don't think she did. I think she just didn't care about their welfare and they died. But she did care about Lucia's welfare and Lucia repaid her by sending her to the pokey. <laughs> and the the other one is like, I do think the point you made was very interesting in that um, it's very clear, like, she f- is just racked with, not, I shouldn't say racked. She is feels guilty about killing her mother. She yeah, I think she it. does. She says she doesn't, but I think she does. Oh, she absolutely is. There's a, a reason that that's what sets her off and makes her, like, fully freak out. Like, she's very yeah. dispassionate about the rest of it, but it's like, when she admits, of course I killed her, you know, like, and then she snaps, you're like, yeah, because that's the one that you feel bad about. Mm-hmm. For sure, for sure. And she had just manifested her mutant powers, by the way. So, like... Did she intend to kill her mom? I don't know. You got claws now, and you're stronger than you were before, and you attack somebody, they might not make it, you know? I think it is a moving target in real life, you know? Yes. For some strange reason, I look at a lot of, like, news articles about murders and stuff, and not just just in general and it's very clear that there's like a lot of malevolent pre yeah i don't think these are premeditated at all and then there's just a lot of people who snap get caught up in a moment even a crime of passion yeah i can buy that she's criminally liable for her mother oh yeah but a defense attorney could say like crime of passion her mother murdered her pets like and has been abusing her for years and years. Like, there would be a trial mm-hmm. that we never see, you know? But also, though, I don't think she's criminally liable for killing Bellinger. I just don't. That's, that's a self-defense case. She's defending her sister, but it's still self-defense. And that definitely holds in courts. Yes. Especially, I don't know about other countries, but in But United certainly States, in New York City, where I grew yeah. up, where, like, where I was born... Yeah, you can, sure. if someone is trying to violently rape your sister and you kill him, you are not yeah. going to prison. Yeah. Now, if anyone's going to, I guess it is like a Latina street girl who is not respected by the system. But even then, a violent rapist, like, I just do feel like that would have been, I mean, she's a mutant. There are factors here, but it just doesn't. Uh, here's the problem, really. The story goes out of its way to kind of vilify her, but it's also the story that gives her all this depth and makes her a potentially empowering character for a lot of people because there are a lot of people who come out of homes like this or who come out of sexual abuse like this, and it does make them hard. It does make them angry. It does make them someone who's not going to be accommodating to other people, not someone who's going to let Boom Boom push her around. Yeah. Now, Boom Boom, of course, is also a street kid. This is the thing. Like, I think it's so sad that they didn't know each other's past. Right! If they had known each other's backstories, I think they might have really been close because they have the same... I mean, they're both abused by their fathers because Boom Boom is also an abused by her father character. And I do think there's, like, interesting stuff going on here in that like Nisiesa is the first Latino to write X-Men comics in a, in a long-term way. And I would be interested to hear from him, like if he was drawing on any, like, you know, he grew up in Jersey and he's Argentinian. It's like a different 
context, but he definitely was interested in diverse characters. He introduced a lot of black women to the franchise. He said that he did that really on purpose, pointedly with like Tempo, Neurotap, who didn't go anywhere, but she's fun. She should come back. Threnody, like he wanted to do that. And in this case, it does feel like this is what Morlock stories should be about and often aren't. The actual homeless and destitute of New York City. Right. And a lot of those people are going to be queer Latino youth, right? Like that is a very real thing. And so again, like this is a character who could be really powerful for a lot of people, but after this story, she's just a stock villain until she dies. Yeah, well, she actually has a very interesting career. Well, that's because- she has the, because Grant Morrison didn't give a shit about continuity. So there's the very, very weird, very weird digression that we're about to get to. I think now, actually, though, is a good moment to pause for the Cerebro character file. We will go through Farrell's complete publication history from New Mutants up through Women of Marvel by Sophie Campbell and Eleonora Carlini, where she and Marrow had a little adventure together recently on Krakoa. And then we will come back for more with Daryl Io. We will talk about the rest of Farrell's appearances. There aren't super a ton of them so that's why i'm pausing here and then we will answer questions from listeners like you stay tuned we'll be right back x-men x-men maria kaya santos better known by the mutant name feral is a founding member of x-force who never really flourished outside of that book or even within it created by rob liefeld and fabian niciesa maria is an antagonist within the team the problem child who has friction with her teammates once Nisiesa began plotting the book after Liefeld's departure, he quickly wrote the character out by making her a villain, and she's been something of a footnote in the X-Men franchise ever since. Maria debuts in 1991's New Mutants 99, the penultimate issue of the series before it relaunches as X-Force. A brash young woman with a furry feline appearance, she's one of the Morlocks, the subterranean society of visible mutants who live beneath Manhattan. In the absence of their former leaders Callisto and Storm, the remaining Morlocks are now led by Mask, who seeks to attack the surface world. He tries to force Maria to be part of his army, but she refuses and escapes the tunnels. In the final issue of New Mutants, Boom Boom comes upon Maria in the kitchen at the abandoned Xavier Mansion, where she's hiding for Mask. After fighting Mask and a few of his Morlocks, the new mutant's mentor Cable invites her to join the team, which he quickly rebrands into the paramilitary group X-Force. Violent by nature and not much of a team player, Maria alienates her new teammates pretty quickly when she mauls Cannonball during a training exercise. Another newcomer to the group, the alien warrior Shatterstar, tries to discourage her eagerness to kill versus his own pragmatism about it, but she ignores his guidance. Instead, she flirts with him, which leaves him confused. Around this time, Maria makes a guest appearance in Captain America 407, in which a number of wolf-type superhero characters battle werewolves. Presumably, writer Mark Grunwald was unaware Feral was meant to be a cat mutant, not a dog mutant. Back in X-Force, we meet Maria's elder sister Lucia, aka Thorn, who is also a cat-like visible mutant and has remained with the Morlocks. Unlike Maria, who had difficulty fitting in there, Lucia has made herself integral to the Morlock community and has become Mask's right hand. Lucia makes a deal with the Toad and his new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to forge an alliance if the Brotherhood will kill Maria and X-Force. She and Mask join the Brotherhood for the battle, in which Lucia defeats Maria, but, to her surprise, finds herself unable to kill her little sister. Cable overpowers Lucia and kills Mask, and Maria makes it clear that she will get her revenge for Lucia's attack. 
Shortly after this story, Rob Liefeld departed Marvel for Image Comics. While previously Fabian Niciesa had only been writing scripts for Liefeld's plots, he now assumed full writing duties on X-Force, and was none too pleased to be saddled with Feral, a character he found irritating. She fades into the background for the most part, only having a few moments of focus, including a role as bait for anti-mutant scientists in the 1993 X-Force Annual, until an arc over issues 27 and 28 in which she's written out of the book. In this story, the new leader of the Mutant Liberation Front, Rainfire, do not worry about it, check out the Sunspot episode for more information, if you care, aims to assassinate Henry Peter Gyrick, the U.S. government official supervising the Sentinel program Project Wide Awake. Maria is assigned by Cable to keep an eye on Gyrick, which proves to be a mistake, as Rainfire convinces her to betray X-Force and join him in the MLF. Though they fail to kill Gyrick, Maria escapes with Rainfire and his forces. A year later, Maria reappears in the 1994 X-Force Annual No. 3 for a story about Danny Moonstar's time with the Mutant Liberation Front. Maria and Danny do not get along. Soon afterward, Maria gets her only real moment in the spotlight in X-Force 40 and 41, one of the final stories before Niciesa departs the title. In this arc, Maria's sister Lucia is arrested by the NYPD's superhuman task force, Code Blue, and charged with the murders of her other family members. She protests it was Maria who killed them, and summons Cable to the prison for help. Cable meets with Lucia as her attorney, he's an attorney, don't worry about it right now, and arranges a prison transfer to bring Lucia to an ostensibly safer location. While en route, the transport is attacked by the anti-mutant group called the Friends of Humanity, who attempt to kill Lucia. X-Force defeats the assassins and brings both Lucia and her childhood friend Jose, now the police detective in charge of the Calle Santos murder case, to the tenement in the Bronx where Maria and Lucia grew up. Maria, also lured to the tenement by Cable, battles her sister and former teammates while also revealing the truth of her past. A series of flashbacks show us that Maria and Lucia grew up in poverty in the South Bronx, abandoned by their addict father. When he died of an overdose, their mother blamed the children, especially the younger two, Mateo and Carolina, who each then died accidentally while in Maria's care. Lucia believes Maria murdered them. Maria and Lucia's mother then began a romantic relationship with another addict who began sexually abusing the girls. When Lucia was 17, the man violently sexually assaulted her, and Maria, whose mutation manifested faster than Lucia's, killed him to defend her sister. They hid the body together, but their mother suspected Maria in the disappearance and slaughtered Maria's pet pigeons as revenge. Maria then killed her mother in a rage, and the girls ran away to join the Morlocks. In the present, Maria admits to the murders of her mother and her mother's boyfriend, but denies killing the children, arguing she merely allowed them to die by their own misadventure. Though Shatterstar wants to put her down, she's apprehended alive and taken into custody to stand trial for murder. Four years later, Maria returns in the Quicksilver solo series written by Tom Pyre, in which we learn at some point she had contracted the legacy virus. A team of mutant mercenaries working for Exodus break her out of prison to join them in pursuit of the High Evolutionary, as Exodus has promised them a cure for legacy in return for an attack on Mount Wundegore. Do not worry about this story. The following year, under writer John Francis Moore, Marie returns to the pages of X-Force as one of King Bedlam's New Hellions. In the battle between the New Hellions and X-Force, Maria slits Siren's throat with her claws, leaving Siren without the ability to speak or to use her mutant power. Without explanation, Maria and Lucia turn up three years later in 2002 in Grant Morrison's New X-Men as members of X-Corporation, serving at the Mumbai branch. The sisters still share some animosity, but it's pretty understated given the last time they were on panel together. As part of X-Corp Mumbai, Maria is instrumental in preventing an assassination attempt on Charles Xavier by his ex-lover Lalandra Naramani, who had been driven insane by Cassandra Nova. 
In 2006, Murray and Lucia appear in Decimation House of M the day after, a one-shot written by Chris Claremont exploring the fallout of the Decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants worldwide were depowered by the crazy Scarlet Witch. Marie and Lucia appear as regular humans, but wearing their costumes from X-Corp Mumbai. Notably in this story, they're identified by the wrong names. The character called Lucia is clearly meant to be Feral, and the character called Maria is clearly meant to be Thorn. This is probably just an art error. The following year, the sisters return, apparently restored to their mutant forms, in Jeff Loeb's run on Wolverine. It turns out they were kidnapped by Romulus. Do not worry about Romulus, who transformed them at a Weapon X facility as part of a larger plot to manipulate feline and canine mutants. Maria and Lucia try to help Wolverine fight Sabretooth and his associate Wildchild, but it turns out Romulus's experiment only restored their cat-like appearances, not their superhuman powers. Sabretooth easily butchers Maria, partially eating her in his maddened state. In the 2009-2010 franchise-wide event Necrotia, Maria is one of many deceased characters reanimated by Selene to serve in her army of the dead. She returns to the grave at the end of that story, only to turn up as a ghost in 2011 in the pages of Peter David's X-Factor Investigations. Maria appears to a pregnant Rain Sinclair and attempts to kill her, only to find herself intangible and realize that she's still dead. It turns out her spirit is being used as an anchor to track Rain by a number of animal gods and demons with an interest in the baby. This plot does not really go anywhere, at least for Feral. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Maria is one of countless mutants to be resurrected by the power of the Five in the new mutant sovereign nation Krakoa. She's mostly appeared in background cameos, but has a memorable spotlight in the 2021 Women of Marvel anthology, in a story by Sophie Campbell and Eleonora Carlini where she and Mara were assigned as roommates, and initially clashed before growing close. What the future holds for Feral is anyone's guess, but this cat is only on her second of nine lives. Or I guess the third? Maybe the third if you count Necrotia. I don't know. X-Men, X-Men. So after she gets sent to prison, that is definitely like exit Feral. But the thing about Feral is that nobody's paying attention to what's yeah. going on with Feral. So Feral then pops up without explanation in uh, the Quicksilver ongoing solo series, which, folks, I have mentioned this now in several episodes. I don't like this story. This is the Siege of Wondagore. And somehow it keeps coming up because... Exodus is involved. Exodus hires a grab bag of D-list characters to kidnap the High Evolutionary because they have the Legacy Virus. And here we learn that Feral has contracted the Legacy Virus. I keep forgetting that she is, because she doesn't die of it. So I always forget that, like, she's one of the Legacy infectees. Yeah. But she pops up as part of that crew with Pyro and Avalanche and all those guys trying to kidnap the high evolutionary and get the isotope and yeah, do not worry about this fucking story. But bottom line is Feral broke out of prison and, uh, Oh, contracted the legacy virus immediately. Great. Oh, actually I think she already had the legacy virus. Random broke her out of prison. Random. That's right. Said, you know what needs to happen? You know who we need to get in on? We this? gotta get feral. <laughs> so now wait, but not now, even a party yet. Now I want the backstory. What's the feral and random backstory? There is none. But so we need only, it. You can only imagine that this is just the general like criminal network that you right. Like, this have is just imagined. like we are like weird looking black and brown mutant mercenaries in New York all know each other. Yeah. So, of course, random knows feral. <laughs> and also another thing that will never stop being funny is that he's saying this to Omega Red. <laughs> <laughs> you know who we need? Yo, yo, Omega Red. We got to get Feral. Omega Red's like, who the fuck is Feral? 
he only knows Russian mutants. He's, he's like, like who that the fuck? He's like, I know the X Man. I don't know Feral. <laughs> and he's like, he like shows a picture. It's like uh, this is not in the comics. To be clear, we're making this up. He like shows a picture. It's like, oh, Cable's house cat, seen her, but it's been a minute, you know. Like, <laughs> but it's like really, truly not someone who made a huge impact. So. Uh, she attempts to... Uh... It's a weird thing, because this is one of the ones where she's written very much out of character. And yeah. Where my, like, seeds of thinking about her more like an actor just taking roles. Like, <laughs> it seems miscast, and her dialogue weird, and she's just like, this is my shot. I'm just, I'm just going to play this role. Nisiesa wrote me straight to prison for the rest of my life, so I am going to ride this storyline as far as it'll take me. The thing about Nisiesa's X-Force, actually, is it ends, like, two issues after the Feral and Thorn storyline. Because that's when Age of Apocalypse kicks off. Fabian gets fired off the book in the middle of Age of Apocalypse, and then Jeff Loeb takes over for a run that is mid, let's say. And then John Francis Moore takes over for a run on X-Force that is really pretty good. Yeah. I really like it. I think it's a solid book. It's more of like a New Mutants book in tone. It's fully the New Mutants, but with the more But they're in their X-Force 20s, and it's called X-Force because that's yeah. the title that sells, right? That is when we see Feral again because she and Magma are recruited by King Bedlam and Taro to join the new Hellions. Taro's back from the dead. Don't worry about it. Uh, I mean, Taro's worried about it, but we'll get to that someday in a Taro episode. <laughs> she's like, can't wait. She's like, not loving this. This is a very bad situation. Oh no, Zuta Law, I am alive again. <laughs> Zuta Lors! I took five years of French. I will die again and again until my sins are expunged. <laughs> my French accent is bad, as you can tell from the Gambit ad if you're listening to recent episodes of this podcast. That one, someone was like, Gambit sounds kind of Russian. I'm like, listen, <laughs> the deadline was imminent. I was like, I gotta just do this, and it's gonna be one take, and we're just gonna go. We're gonna go. <laughs> This is when uh, Feral slits Siren's throat, which, go back to the Siren episode for more on that. It's a bad time for Siren. Um, But Feral is mostly just, like, in it for the money, hanging out with the new Hellions, presumably still dying of the legacy virus, but it doesn't come up. I think it's mentioned offhand. Oh, yeah, no, it is, because it's made her, like, crazier. (laughs) Hasn't it? (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's like, oh no, she's a crazy kitty cat now. <laughs> but so, <laughs> uh, then she disappears again, uh, and uh, that's when the legacy virus gets cured by Colossus' sacrifice and all of that. So she's presumably fine. And then Grant Morrison truly does not give a fuck about anything that oh, happened yeah. in the 90s, pulling names out of a hat, and in New X Men. And this pissed me off at the time. <laughs> I'm what, like 14? I was pissed. I was like, who does this writer think they are to not give a shit about the fact that Feral and Thorn hate each other and Thorn turned state's evidence and got Feral put away for murder and all this because, like, I was that nerd. And to the point where one of the limericks I wrote when I was 13 in the UncannyXmen.net forums, which are still immortalized on UncannyXmen.net, is about Feral and Thorn at X-Corp Mumbai because 
Grant just slaps him into X-Corp Mumbai. Also, did no one have, like, a comic that Thorne had ever appeared in before? Because she is fully a different woman in this. Like, she's like a gray cat with, like, pink hair. It does not, it's not the same character, but it's whatever. They're on X-Corp Mumbai together. Uh, I guess Farrell got pardoned, acquitted, unclear. Xavier stepped in himself. Clearly pulled some strings, but for Farrell? Yeah. Like Charles Xavier pulled some strings for Farrell? Okay, so here's the thing about Xavier that I think is very interesting, is that, like, especially when you think about uh, Morrison's conception of telepaths, Mm -hmm. it's not just that they have telepathy, they're also just, like, more smart, you know? They have a higher kind of consciousness going on. His brain can keep track of more stuff. So he's just like, oh, yes. So, you know, my favorite students, time displaced sons, former cat, whatever, whatever. Right. Was in prison. Uh, She's a mutant. We could use her somewhere. Yeah. Not in America. No, (laughs) it's true. What are our international offices? It turns out to be a good idea because when Lalandra, who has gone crazy, attempts to assassinate Charles, Farrell and Thorne save him. So that's fun for them. But it's like a very, they, you know, they're, they're kind of like arguing, clearly like someone gave Grant the memo that like these characters are sisters who don't like each other. But I don't think that they understood the depth to which these sisters don't like each other. Because it's a very like, no, 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 Like sister bickering, not like you murdered our entire family <laughs> or and then, you like, sold me out and sent me to prison. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Like it's very, it was a much more heated sibling relationship than this appearance would suggest. But that's it basically. That's in New X-Men 133. I, I particularly enjoyed the uh, unstated but implication that Farrell was the leader of the whole, of the whole office. Of X-Group Mumbai. Yeah, like Farrell's like- in charge. So like you've never like been to India. I don't think that you speak any of the Indian languages, but you could definitely. Ru- You're also a convicted felon. <laughs> what a run in office! <laughs> sure, you are a multiple murderess <laughs> who terrorist. like is a terrorist. Most famously, betrayed X Wars to try and <laughs> kill a U.S. government NATSEC official. Let's send you to India and see if you can't whip this office into shape. And the thing is, because Xavier mentioned that he didn't even know that um, James Warpath was Warpath alive. Is, yeah. So he definitely didn't put him in charge. <laughs> he thought he was dead. So, <laughs> so the funny thing is that, that you know, and since he established, yeah, he, he and I don't think he remembered. Okay, I just said that he remembers everything, but I don't think he really cares that much about Sunfire. It's like mm, I, like, Sunfire is just one of those things where he's just like, hello, Shiro. I, just, I think it's like they have that kind of like relationship. The dialogue that I do really like from Farrell here is like, so when uh, they like rip the... So, so first, it's like very Scooby-Doo, like Farrell's trying to rip the hood off of Lalandra <laughs> and Thorne calls her a treacherous cow, which I think is funny. <laughs> but then when they unmask her and it's like, oh, holy shit, it's Lalandra. Thorne goes, so who is she? I missed that bit. And Farrell says, are you stupid? Don't you read? She's a space empress. And I just think there's something really funny. It is hilarious. (laughs) Like, bitch, don't you read the newspaper? The idea of Farrell, like, keeping track of space empresses in the news is very funny to me. But when you think about it, 
There's an entire race of bird people. Farrell's paying attention. <laughs> There's a Rat. galaxy full of them. She is paying attention. Eyes on the prize. Watching the documentary on CNN about Exactly. Them. Cat TV, babe. <laughs> so then M-Day hits uh, is the next time we see them. We see them in House of M the day after, which is like this one shot about the decimation. They are fully identified by the wrong name because they're wearing the same outfits from X-Corp. And Thorne is like clearly the one being all like scared. And Farrell is clearly the one yelling at everyone around them. But they refer to each other by the wrong names. Uh, Thorne says, where are we going, Lucia? And Farrell says, far from here, Maria. It ain't safe in mutant town no more. And that's basically the last we see of them until they pop up again in Wolverine. (laughs) Very bad decisions. Where they are part of a group of wolf and dog mutants brought together by Romulus. (laughs) <laughs> Except that they're cats. I, I think it's just even pointed. It's pointed out even that they're cats. And everybody's like, but aren't you cats? But it's fine. It's whatever. And also, yeah, I don't know. Romulus restores their mutations, except it pretty quickly turns out that he just made them look like kitty cats again, and they don't have any powers. Because when Feral tries to fight Sabretooth, he rips her apart and eats pieces of her. Uh, and that's the end of that. Then... peter david's x-factor investigations picture it rain sinclair is pregnant as hell she (laughs) she is just a pump full of wolf god juice and she is it's been a couple weeks and she's like eight months pregnant she and Shatterstar are walking to church because they've become friends after she homophobically pushed Shatterstar to go back to the Wolfsbane episode. Anyway, they get attacked by a demon called the Sin Eater, who uh, explains that because Rain's baby is half as guardian and half mutant, the barriers between worlds are breaking down. This is perhaps unrelated to the Hell Lord situation that happens later because he's a seven billionth child born. Don't, truly, do not worry about this. <laughs> but um, Rain's like, no, I will not give you my baby. Will nay. I will not give you my baby to the Sin Eater. They kill the Sin Eater. And then <laughs> suddenly a mischievous little ghost appears. And it is the ghost of Feral who initially doesn't know she's a ghost and um, she attacks them also, but just like kind of goes right through them. And they're like, you're dead, Feral. And she's like, oh, right, I am dead. And it turns out that Feral as a feral mutant has been chosen as the guide, like the tutelary spirit for all of the cat and dog gods that want Rain's baby. (laughs) So, like, the Egyptian goddess Bastet, the Irish Kushi, the Japanese Kasha and Okami, they're all after the baby. Feral is helping them find Rain. And this is a really funny storyline because, I mean, it's a hard, like, everything about Rain's pregnancy is dire, but 
Feral is just trolling the entire time. It is without question her shining moment. It is iconic. Like she is <laughs> she is an iconic mean ghost cat <laughs> who is accomplishing nothing productive, doing nothing of value, just like leading deities to attack a pregnant woman because <laughs> she's bored. Oh, and I think this is actually uh this actually makes a little more sense when um I don't know if you mentioned it in the character file, but they met one time, I think, Once. in Executioner's Song. In Executioner's Song. They immediately disliked each other. Can't stand that bitch. But given that Farrell is the extreme 90s Wolfsbane who then got killed off when that fell out of fashion, to have her come back as, like, the cat ghost haunting Wolfsbane is very funny <laughs> to me. It. I love it. It doesn't really super go anywhere is the thing. Like, it, because uh, the werewolf by night protects them from all the gods and whatnot. And then <laughs> <they're just> really <laughs> this is the best part is they're like in the car <laughs> and ghost feral is also in the car. And she's just like, so ate your dad, huh? And Rain's like, I beg your pardon because Rain is in deep denial about eating her dad. <laughs> <laughs> like fully is like, I didn't eat my father. I just killed him. And it's like, no, you ate him, though. Farrell's like, I know you ate him, though. Was that tasty? How was that? How does the, how's dad meat taste in your wolf jaws? I like how unhelpful she is to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you go to uh, Wikipedia and you go to Farrell on Wikipedia because you Googled, <laughs> you Googled Kaya Santos to see if uh, it was a real name and you get Farrell on Wikipedia, the headings are publication history, which is normal, and then fictional character biography, which is also normal. And there are two subheadings under fictional character biography. One is fighting Sabretooth, and one is hassling Wolfsbane. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think hassling Wolfsbane is really funny as a description of an activity or an occupation to have. Basically, the gods promise Feral that they will resurrect her if she helps them destroy Raid and take her baby, which is, again, like, it feels a little bit like a clever meta-commentary on Feral and Wolfsbane's dueling roles in the franchise in the 90s. Yeah, but it it doesn't. It just kind of peters out once the baby's born and Feral doesn't really pop back up. Yeah, and also like there's there's not only does she not pop back up, there also is no end to. Yeah, there's no like resolution really to the plot. Yeah, we certainly get more of the baby and the Hell Lords and all kinds of stuff that we definitely want to read about. I'm like more Ghost Feral in my opinion, but alas, twas not to be. She is briefly resurrected by Selene in Necrotia. And then in the Age of X reality warp, as we said, she's mentioned as Tempo's girlfriend who had died. Which, that's kind of fun because they were in the MLF together in the regular realities. So maybe they actually... Oh, actually, oh no, wait! Oh, no, wait! They weren't! They did, they right, 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 right! No, <laughs> so, yeah, because Fabian was going to have Tempo join X-Force. That was where exactly. I was going when I said that a few issues later, Fabian gets fired off the book because the whole point was that Tempo was supposed to defect from the MLF to X-Force and Farrell's defecting from X-Force to the MLF. They traded exactly. places. 
and they traded places at the same time. Yeah, it like, it's like in the same issue. It was like we don't like you anymore, and you. Well, it's all about the Gyric thing. It's like Tempo yeah. doesn't agree with killing Gyric. Yeah, and Farrell doesn't agree with protecting Gyric. So it's a natural trade. Also, this is a really fun point where like uh, Tempo is supposed to be college age because she mentions college. Yeah, and Farrell is noted at seventeen years of age. So basically, you're in college and you met this bratty high school senior one time, and then some god comes along and in decides, the reality oh, war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you had a great love, lifelong love there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but now I'm imagining some kind of like lost story of them in like the late '90s that we just never saw. That could be fun. It would just be fun to see them on Krakoa now, given that. Because it's like, does Tempo remember being in love with Feral in Age of X? The way that, like, Frenzy remembers being in love with Cyclops? Like, what's the what's the skinny on that? Like, was Feral ever actually in Age of X? Probably not. Because it's like she's dead in the backstory that Legion had generated. So there's just lots right. of story opportunity there that could be fun. But you'd have to care about Feral, which not a lot of people do. No one did. No one did. But it was a fun poll. Yeah, I thought it was cute. And uh, again, it made another, it made two more Rob Liefeld co-creations gay. So yeah. that was a serve from Mike Carey, in my opinion. Feral is then resurrected on Krakoa by the power of the five. And there's a cute story, as we mentioned, in Women of Marvel, number one, by Sophie Campbell and Eleanor Carlini, where they uh, assign Feral and Marrow to room together because they're like both new to Krakoa and they get in, you know, some squabbles. Marrow ends up like breaking Feral's arm at one point, which is funny. Like Feral just shows up in a cast, which I think is a funny image because it makes me think of like when your cat has like one of those like sock casts on or something, because like the cat had surgery, you know, it's like shaking like the cat sock. But uh, anyway, Marrow realizes that Feral was a Morlock, though. Because remember, Marrow was a little kid when the Morlocks got swept away to the hill. It's actually yeah, interesting they because they both have, like, Marrow has this weird relationship with Thorn that mm, yeah. hasn't really been explored. Because again, like, we haven't seen Thorn since Feral died. So <laughs> I don't think, anyway. There's something interesting about the idea of Feral and Marrow as like the two younger girls that Thorn failed to save from their darker impulses or whatever, like maybe finding each other. But it's more of a light comedy story. By the end of it, I did want Marrow and Feral to date. I would be pro that personally. I think it would be funny. But if nothing else, I would like to see them show up as friends in like the background of scenes. I see. I don't. I'm not. I'm not super passionate about shipping of any kind. I'm always just sort of like, sounds cool, you know. The vibe that I get is more of like, um, they would probably like be close enough that they would like be in each other's business. For sure, but not yeah. Dating, you know. What no, I mean? no, no. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, by dating, I just mean like let's see them like you know out at the Green Lagoon together and whatnot. I don't need to 
have a sweeping romance between Marrow and Yeah, I don't see it between that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it would be fun to, like, throw them together more. And uh, that's it. Yeah. So unless you have something else to say... uh... Yeah, she doesn't really do anything besides uh, the women of uh, the women of Marvel short every time you've seen her in Krakoa has just been like a background because yeah, like she was like sitting in the bar at X Factor and like she's been in little cameos because she's a distinctive design that you can throw into a panel exactly like you draw that that hair with the stripes and you're like oh bam know that one from the 90s pink titties triangle head you're like that <laughs> I know that cat I'd recognize her anyway she was on the trading cards it's true it's true but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The main thing about I would say the main thing about her is that like, oh, I keep forgetting to say this. Like, this is something that like kind of hit me a long time ago and kind of keeps recurring. And I don't think anybody's explicitly tried to do this, but she does seem to like become the de facto normal person mutant in the X Men universe. And I'll run it through real quick. So, um, okay, X-Men, animated series, Slave Island. They go to they yes. do the Genosha story. She's, She's one of the like slaves in Genosha. a prisoner. She's yeah. like Jubilee, like, shut up. And trying to escape is a bad idea, you know? <laughs> but then she's, like, beating up the guards when they do escape. Just, right. Right. Ultimate Comics, uh, the ultimate version of Mutant Liberation Front, she is, like, the example of the Mutant Liberation Front. They, like, liberate her. Yeah. Before she gets vaporized by a sentinel at the end of that story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Her most recent appearance is a flashback. It's the, what is it? What's the new series called? X-Men Legacy? X-Men Forever? X-Men Legends. Legends. Where they did, like, a throwback to New Mutants versus Morlocks. And they, Mm -hmm. like, they retroactively, even though they hadn't met in actual continuity they just but you can slap her in there now because now she would have been there yeah and it's like she's just sort of like and her position in there is just like like this is what a normal morlock would think in this position you know what i'm saying like she's kind of an everyman except that she's like yeah (laughs) like like the mutant everyman like if you just like what does an average mutant say so you want like a weird looking person to do that and then you want to Somebody recognizable, like, oh, yeah, from the cover of X-Force 1. And, and and she just keeps getting thrown into that role. She's kind of Stacey X-esque in that way, where it's like just that she is a character who comes from the streets and, like, is grounded and normal and looks around at X-Men stuff and is like, what the fuck is this? Like, she <laughs> has that kind of vibe a little bit to her. Yeah. And it's not really... She's less personable, let's say, than most of those characters are going to be. But she has that, like, she kind of has, like, a turns to the camera, what? Kind of vibe at times. <laughs> yeah, that's Which true. is that's fun. Cool. That certainly Ghost Feral feels like she's looking at the reader a lot, like, can you believe this shit? And another thing that's very weird, because it kind of breaks, it kind of pushes to the edge of the superhero thing. Originally, she was really just like a person who looked like that. Mm-hmm. But then, in like for example, in the Ghost Feral thing, like she definitely ends one of those Ghost Feral stories being distracted by an unseen piece of string. Yeah, no, like she, like Peter David. Well, the thing about Peter David is like he's gonna write an X Force character as a joke. Look at how he wrote Shatterstar. Yeah. So like 
you know, Feral is suddenly like a fucking cat. Like like she's yeah. like she's cat's eye in a way that she wasn't previously. And I think it's really fun because you don't really have much of the character. So what you need is the most heightened possible sure. aspect. And also another thing is um and this is something that like as we learn more about Peter David and find ourselves like a little bit put <laughs> off by it. I find it a very good cosmic revenge that every time Peter David writes something that like he hates it is that it becomes better. Like, like we mentioned random before, like random was very obviously a parody. He was very obviously making fun of this character and people loved him immediately. Yeah. And I just, I find it so funny that he was just like, oh, I'm going to show these people how stupid these extreme characters are. And everybody's like, more of that guy, please. It's like <laughs> random is kind of the, like he's, he never got nearly as big, but kind of the Lobo of oh, yeah. Marvel because Lobo was also a parody of that. Who then it's became funny. Lobo's a parody of Wolverine and yes. Random's a parody of Lobo. Yes. <laughs> and both times, readers are like, we love him more. Please. Thank you. It's like, isn't this so stupid? Don't you feel ridiculous? And people are like, please, more of that guy. More of that guy. He's cool. Cooler than your <laughs> stupid characters. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. I think now is a good time to get into the questions. We got a lot of fun questions about Feral. Adrian Mendoza writes, Hello, Connor and guests. Love the podcast and congratulations on the success. I'm glad you're doing an episode in a character I know little about. I think Farrell's gay, but that's a given since she's a Rob Liefeld creation. My questions are, what the fuck is up with Farrell? Why is she always angry? Can Farrell, like Wolfsbane, shapeshift to human form? Thank you. Adrian, she's angry for reasons that we've gone over, um, but also just kind of an angry person, which is fine. Some people are angry. She cannot turn into a human form. The only time she ever has and was surprisingly white looking was in House of M the day after, uh, which was when she was depowered. But no, she looks like that all the time. The thing is, in the 90s, so did Wolfsbane, right? So, like, it was another way. Like, there was, it was not a thing that distinguished them particularly. But now it would. So, uh, I would say um, true on page. But consider this. She can turn back. Consider that she just doesn't want to. Well, sure. There's that. That's an option also, right? Because I, I, I started to get the implication that, like, when, when she depowered and her and her sister became, like, people looking instead of just like the same without powers i was like oh i think so here's the thing i don't think lucia is that smart so i don't think she tried <laughs> and i think that feral may have tried but remember her her becoming this and her fury is what protected it was her. her moment of empowerment right and i don't think i feel like she probably in a quiet moment tried to turn back realized she could it was like great never doing that again never doing that again i <laughs> like that i'm going to accept that headcanon personally honestly i like that a lot david welsh writes greetings connor and guests you turn the show i particularly love how it can make me interested in characters i don't care about at all see the skids episode for a prime example honestly feral has nowhere to go but up for me which brings me to my question her thing is that she's just the worst, right? Surly, snide, dishonest, untrustworthy. Were there ever any plans to make her not the worst? Or did she just never get past sexier Wolfsbane? We'll figure it out later. Thanks so much for the many hours of entertainment, many of which I've listened to many times. Best, David Welsh. I don't think there were ever plans because I don't think that, like, Liefeld had extensive plans for anybody. And then Nisiesa just did not like the characters. So, no, I think the point was... We're throwing this character onto the team as a fucking bitch, and she's gonna make everyone mad. And like the thing is, that's a plan in of itself, right? 
uh, it does make it a little harder for the character to survive beyond that. I, I a question after you, you said something that uh, reminded me because I would have been very disappointed if I had forgotten to mention this point. And anybody can let me know if I missed something here, but I'm pretty sure Farrell has never told a lie at mm. all. And and I'll tell you why in a moment, but Farrell has never lied. She's been wrong about things, which is different. That's different from lying, never right. never told an untruth. She's never lied. The reason why she's never lied is because she's not important. So when she <laughs> says something, it's because it's to just like dispense information. Right, she's narrating usually. Like she's not important enough to have a, a dis- right. to be deceiving but people. But even when like, she's I mean, ghost feral, she's like very straightforward. She's like, here's what's up, bitch. Because she also has nothing to lose. Right. Either. Like, her position, and, and here's the thing. I've met people like Feral in a less physically violent sense, but like sure. emotional type of Punchy. Like, they are liars. They lie constantly. Like this whole like the malevolence that hatred mm-hmm. a person is often usually just i think that was really interesting is that because she's just not important enough she never actually ended up lying and you know, so it's just this very funny. that's why i don't think she pushed her siblings because yeah. i believe her when she says she didn't yeah and that's the thing is like i think it's because i think it's exactly what you're identifying is that she is actually a very direct and forthright character when it comes to the murders she did do, she's like, yeah. I surely did. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't going to tell you. But no, but if you're asking. You bring, but since you pushed me to a corner, yeah. You I brought was, it up? Oh, yeah. And I'd do it again. Like, you know, it, that I think is, that, that's fun. There is something fun about that. Yeah. Christian Smith writes, Hi, Connor, an esteemed guest. Farrell seemed to be the first extremizing taken to the ultimate extent, taking a long-established character like Wolfsbane and wholesale replacing her with an almost identical power set, but a more spiky and hard-edged character. And I'm not just talking about the hair and those shoulder pads. Unlike others like Shatterstar, who added different powers to the team, Farrell literally overwrote a character. And then they did nothing with her. I know Fabian said he pretty much wanted her gone ASAP, but it took a while, and she never really seemed to get any traction after Given she was part of the team and prominent on the cover of one of the biggest selling comics of all time, she never even got to be that big of a bad guy before she was killed off. Do you think being essentially the evil twin of Wolfsbane hampered anyone doing anything interesting with her? Boredom by association? Or was it the extremeness and lack of any character points that made people think, eh, just use Rain? God, imagine being passed over because Rain Sinclair seemed more interesting. Thanks again for the community and podcast, Kristen Smith. That is rough. That's a rough thing to have to sit with. Hard. I think that Wolfsbane has the cachet of being a Chris Claremont classic New Mutant, and it is really hard. To, I mean, look at the other X Force characters: Shatterstar, Warpath, and Siren have also all struggled to really find their light. Richter has the benefit of at least having been an '80s New Mutant at the tail end there, like Richter and Boom Boom, they were on that team. I think that Warpath had like a brief moment where because of X-Force and then the Brubaker Uncanny that he was in from when he was fucking Hepzibah, which like love that for them. But otherwise, those characters have had a rough go because they're not as iconic as those 80s characters. They don't have the Claremont, like Siren and Warpath are Claremont creations even, but they were never like on his teams. 
And I think that there is a degree to which they fall into a problem that a lot of 90s legacy characters have, like your Wally Wests, your Kyle Rayners, where they are not the freshest, newest characters, but they're also not the most readily iconic versions of the younger team. I mean, you know, Jordan White pissed off a bunch of Academy X freaks on Twitter recently in X-Men Monday, which I was like, of course they're furious because he said something that I thought was really true and really honest and direct, which was like, he doesn't dislike the Academy X characters. He doesn't tell anyone not to use them, but the Academy X characters have become less special That was the phrasing that got a lot of people mad. He didn't mean they were less special individual characters. He meant if you are no longer the youngest generation, you automatically become less special because the new mutants and Kitty and Rachel are always going to be the most important initial class of students. And then besides them, the youngest, most recent characters are going to be the point of view characters that get the most focus. And then, unfortunately, there are like 700 characters in the middle who are just a mishmash. And with Academy Axe, it's particularly rough because they introduced like 80. They did like a full Harry <laughs> Potter, like which house are you kind of bullshit thing where and this is part of why I think people love those characters so much. A lot of people is because there was a lot of space to like pick the one who you identified with and then headcanon like their whole life together and whatnot in the same way that people got obsessed with tertiary Harry Potter students and like developed intense personal canon about them. So those characters are even more at risk, I think, of getting lost. But even you see it even in the 90s with the Gen X kids and the X-Force kids. they're just never going to have the same status as Moonstar and Cannonball and Sunspot. They're just not. And in this case, Wolfsbane, no matter how many terrible stories she's been in, is always going to be a more famous character than Feral. And she doesn't have an X factor like, for example, a character like Monet, who's giving you something that, isn't there already monet has those supergirl powers that are like i mean rogue has them but it's otherwise a kind of unusual power set in x-men that like flying brick kind of thing superman type power and then she also has like just a bunch of interesting factors she's like a wealthy european black girl muslim there's like a lot of stuff going on there that feral just doesn't like if you want like a latina character from new york city you're probably going to use Cecilia Reyes instead. Like, it's just that she doesn't... Everything that she brings that's kind of a potential X factor, no pun intended, is kind of covered by a more popular character already. Like, if you're going to bring in an XMLF person, there's like three or four you would bring in before Feral. And also, speaking of MLF, we gotta we got to hope, keep hoping that they do more stuff with Forearm because he has four arms and he said... I I thought of it, guys. My name is going to be Forearm, and they all had this smile, like, uh, okay, Ooh, okay. <laughs> you know what? You do that. I mean, I love Forearm because he is a big old gay in a harness with forearms, and I love that for the world. And I want him to be like 
the bartender at Homo Superior, Christian Frost, Krakow and Gay Bar. He could serve so many drinks in his little harness. And he's got great. He, he's figured out like that he needs to grow a beard. So he he's He looks great on the sword smarter. station. Yeah, he's getting oh he's getting way smarter. But no, I, I think that Feral and Forearm hanging out would be fun. I, I think again, I would love to see Feral and Tempo cross paths again. There's stuff I'd love to see that. there. She has connections that you could and the problem really is that her connections are not with the X-Force characters because they didn't like her very much. So, And also the problem is her connections are basically like with the truthful thing is like they're tenuous. They're like information. Yeah. It's not necessarily like they're, they're no one has like really... a sentimental memory with Feral to like fall right. back on. They, she's like, never given scenes like that. They don't like reminisce about like homicide or anything, you know. Like, right. I do think I do think that um, Fabian is very interesting because now see I'm now I'm doing it, Mister <laughs> Mister Nisi. <Nisiesa. laughs> Sorry, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's very interesting because um, he talks about not liking the character, but I think that that's more retrospect because he just like I went through this in real time at a formative age. I actually remember the way I see it is he tried really hard. I think he tried and couldn't yeah. figure out the character and it was frustrating. You know so he got really rid of her. Funny, what's really funny in my opinion is what he was ending up doing. He ended up transferring to another character with Farrell's voice. You can see if you go back and look, you can see it. It's Deadpool. That makes a lot of sense. But well, that's like that's literally what I said. Where it's it feels like a lot of the time she's the type of character who turns to the viewer and is like, "Are you seeing this?" Yeah. And that is Deadpool is the quintessential one of those. But he right? was writing both of them at the same time. Yeah. Twenties issues. Mm -hmm. And that's when it really clicked with me when I was doing some of my rereading, and I was like, "Oh, this is the same." sense of humor this is the same she would be a funny supporting character for deadpool actually or just like a funny person in that type of role somewhere yeah else. i don't know i don't know that i i'm i'm a big like not sure if i understand how similarities work where a lot of similarities are like fun to butt up against each other because they annoy each other but sometimes and then sometimes it's redundant. redundant yeah yeah but yeah, I, I do think that like like Fabian Isis is like I think that it just and and this is not like a knock, but I do think that it's a little Well, he's looking back aggro, on it thirty years later for sure. Exactly. But yeah. I feel like it's such an aggro male voice that it feels like it made more sense to shift that energy towards Deadpool, which sure. he was already doing it. When he was you know what I mean? Like it just it felt so hostile coming from a woman. You know? No, that's that's I think that's true. And I think that Fabian like Siren is also a very aggressive female character and messy in a way that's interesting. And yeah. I think I, I think he was I do think he was trying with Farrell to like find the way to make her fit on the team. And it just didn't it just never worked. Right. And that just happens in writing in general. So yeah, sometimes don't go where you thought they were going to go. And you have to you have to cut the line. So that's fine. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, what are you going to do? And a lot of people sent in questions like, why do you think that the narrative vilified Farrell? And it's like they just couldn't figure out how to make her fit. And X-Force after Liefeld left 
like Liefeld pushed it in a very this is the the they're like X-Men as terrorists, like it's a paramilitary org like direction. And I think Nisiesa softens that and I think Loeb softens it even more. It doesn't ever completely go away, but it becomes much more after Executioner's song, it becomes much more of a like these are the new mutants in their twenties. Yeah. kind of book even when it's not the new mutants cast but it's like here's cannonball here's boom boom here's richter they're a little older here's sunspot they're a little older but they're you know still the same characters you know and love and it beca- especially as cable gets more and more de-emphasized i just think there wasn't really room for feral yeah. and so the best thing to do is have her i mean the betrayal makes perfect sense and that's why it's funny because it's like <laughs> yeah i'm out like if you were like hanging out at like somebody else's high school reunion, that would be annoying. Right. Everybody's <laughs> like, why is she here? We don't know this girl. <laughs> Brian Houston writes, greetings, Connor and Daryl. Farrell's such a great character. She's had huge moments in key storylines, like that time she was confused for a werewolf, got drunk on schnapps, and was murdered by Sabretooth, or the time when she was confused for a werewolf and forced to be a background character in Captain America for a few months, or the time she was a ghost and haunted a werewolf. Okay, Farrell's <laughs> awful, and honestly, I dislike her. But that's what should make this such a fun episode to listen to. I've never met a Feral fan before that didn't have the character confused with Tigress, so I'm excited to learn what makes her great. I have a few questions if you've got the time. One, is Haunting Rain the funniest thing Feral's ever done? What would be second place? Yes, it absolutely is. What would you say is the second funniest thing Feral has ever done? Becoming roommates with Marrow, immediately starting a fight with Marrow, getting her arm broken by Marrow, and then immediately coming up to like, hi, hi, how's it going? Remember, it's me from before. <laughs> <laughs> like all within the span of like three hours. Yes, that's good to me. <laughs> I also just truly do love, oh, Henry Peter Gyrick? No, oh, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> I think that's very funny and underrated. Uh, uh, but actually, number two for me is, don't you read the news? She's a space empress. <laughs> yes, yes. She's so indignant that Thorne doesn't know who Lalandra Naramani is. The greatest thing about the Gyrick thing in X-Force number 28 is that in X-Force number 24 is the first time um, like Farrell actually says anything political. And it's just sort of like, oh yeah, they were on their way to a mission. They had the news on. And all of a sudden, Farrell found out about racism and is, it's brand new to her. She's Furious. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody told me about this. This is horrible. <laughs> two, would Cat's Eye love or hate Farrell? I don't think those two have ever interacted, and I doubt Farrell would like Cat's Eye, but Cat's Eye's feelings towards another cat lady could be interesting. Would they be buddies, or would Cat's Eye get territorial and fuck her up? As always, love the podcast until Sikorsky gets a six-hour episode spoken entirely in bug voices. Make mine Cerebro. <laughs> Brian, TD Mollusk on Discord. So Cat's Eye was dead when Farrell was introduced. Well, not quite, but they, like there's a little bit of a moment when they're both alive. But in pretty short order in the 90s, the Hellions are wiped out. So they never got a chance to cross paths. I think that Cat's Eye would actually initially maybe like approach Farrell in a friendly way. But I don't think, I think that Farrell would find Cat's Eye really annoying. And Cat's Eye is not stupid. She's just naive. So I think that the second she clocked that Farrell was being rude to her, it would be on. And then it would truly be a she-cat war 
isn't Cat's Eye like technically like mentally a genius? Yes, she has a <laughs> photographic memory and <laughs> learned English in like a month and is an absolute genius. She just was raised by cats and thinks she's a cat. So, so I think like Pharaoh actually reads as being very smart, but not a genius. Right, and not it's, educated either. Yeah, like, she like, didn't have the opportunities. She definitely like has like the sophistication of a smart person, but like not like a kitty pride, like I'm a prodigy type of thing, but just like definitely smarter than like, oh, you like you as a hobby walk around on all fours, but you like actually are with it. So it's 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 a weird thing. Like they're both smarter than they look, but yeah, they probably I feel like they might not they might end up just like going to separate corners. Mm-hmm. But I do think it would be fun. It would be particularly oh, funny yeah. if Rain is like trying to mediate between Feral and Cat's Eye. I think that would be fun. That would be because nice. she has an interesting history with each of them, and you could make that kind of a the fulcrum. That would be funny. It'd be a funny Wolfsbane story, and God knows Wolfsbane needs a funny story or two. Yeah, she needs she needs a, a light one. Yeah, yeah for sure. really. Tyler Aiken writes, Dear Connor and esteemed guest, first of all, I just want to say thank you for the incredible podcast. I was a fan of the animatics on TikTok, and after seeing enough, I finally decided to take the plunge in the podcast proper, starting with the excellent Mr. Sinister episode. The podcast has really given me a new appreciation for the X-Men as a whole, as well as characters like Betsy Braddock and, of course, Celine. And the Discord is such a lovely and welcoming community. With all that mushy stuff out of the way, let's get to the juicy stuff. As of this email, Farrell's admittedly not a character I know much about, but I did notice that she's part of a trend of furry characters within the X-Men. While there are other noteworthy examples of feline characters like Tigra, Cheetah, and the Werewolf by Night, the X-Men in particular seem to have an abundance. Between Feral, Hepzibah, Cat's Eye, Rain, and our favorite furry blue war criminal Hank McCoy, there's no shortage <laughs> of anthropomorphized animal people running around Krakoa at a given moment. Do you think this is intentional on the part of writers, drawing lines between Homo sapiens and evolutionary paths? Do you think these characters are just fun for artists to draw? Or do you think they're subtly tapping into their own underlying fetishes, as evidenced by just about all the characters I've named about being sexy cat ladies? Thank you for the incredible podcast, the community you've helped foster, Tyler, Aiken, P.S., Betsy, and Rachel. Any update on that? Update, Tyler. They are still gay. I think that sexy cat lady is just a really enduring archetype. You have to remember that in the 90s, when a lot of these characters are introduced, uh, in the 80s and 90s, when a lot of these characters are introduced, Cats is huge. <laughs> that musical was huge. A feral literally just looks like she walked up the set of Cats. And, it, you know, I have, like, here's the thing. If I'm Rob Liefeld and I'm like, yeah, what's trendy? What's sexy and hot? What am I going to put in my comic book? And Cats is on the poster in every subway station. I might make a sexy cat lady. Also, Rob Liefeld, as most people of 1990 and 1991, watch TV. And you know, because you're from the area, cats add on Endless! TV every commercial every, break. Every, every single commercial break. Every commercial. I had, I had never seen cats until the movie. <laughs> recently came out and uh, I went mega stoned out of my fucking mind. I went to, I went to Danny and Grace Lavery's wedding. And then after the wedding, cause the wedding was early and it was a dry wedding afterward, Maddie Lebchansky and their wife, Jaya and I, and a couple of our friends 
got absolutely destroyed on edibles because we were in San Francisco and uh, went to it was this was the last theater experience I had before COVID was cats and it was truly sublime but uh no so I had never seen it however I knew all the fucking songs because of that goddamn commercial <laughs> that commercial was our whole childhood constantly memories all alone in the moonlight I never understood what it was all it was just this weird Betty Buckley rising on a tire yeah like it's like weird like vaguely adult, vaguely sexual thing that was it's always so <laughs> sexual. The thing about cats that's really unpleasant that maybe kids today don't understand because, like, they were CGI weirdos in the movie. Cats on Broadway is a bunch of incredibly physically fit professional dancers in skin tight unitards with cat accoutrements on them, and they are all just like slinking and sexing around, <laughs> and it's just very. It's very disturbing to like a young mind. You don't understand what's happening. And every commercial break, like four things for children, because cats was a show for the whole family. So like yeah. we're watching fucking like Batman the Animated Series and like on the commercial break, it's like and Batman the Animated Series, let's be clear, had a lot of heavy shit in it. I was thinking about do you remember that episode with Baby Doll and Killer Croc? I don't I don't remember that one. That's just like B Baby Doll looks like an eternal child and she's fucking Killer Croc and I was just like why, why was this allowed? <laughs> but God, I digress. Damn. I digress. Batman. <laughs> Great show. Uh but but I'm just saying you'd be on commercials of like Hey Arnold or something. You'd be like <laughs> memories and like the cats are all slinking like Jellicles can and Jellicles do and they're like with their like cat titties shaken and it was just very and like the cat crotches like the dance belts it's just, there's just a lot going on there's a gigantic cartoon question mark over every child's head like huh what <laughs> and it's like a cartoon question mark with like tiger stripes and you're like what was that about <laughs> And yeah, if you weren't there in the 90s, I feel like you just kind of missed out on that uh, very yeah, like strange psychosexual moment. The same vibe as like if you had just like experienced this continually for Constantly. years. Constantly. It's, it's that in the Pure Mood CD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me say, let me say, drift away to the timeless melody of tubular bells. The Pure Mood CDs were relentless. As Pure Moods and Cats and Soul Train. And that's oh all God. I remember of my childhood. <laughs> it's all gone. Everything else is just smoke blowing out my ears. Anyway. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think the writers specifically have a fetish. I think Sexy Cat Lady is just an enduring weird thing in our popular culture. And that in the 90s in particular sexy weird cat gymnasts with triangle heads were everywhere you <laughs> turned you simply could not escape them yeah and that's like not a joke it's like really happening <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was relentless i, 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 I can't so, lie so overwhelming you could not get away from the cats it's i feel like for the next generation like a little younger than us it's the lion king on broadway was like Every, the commercials for that were oh, yeah. everywhere. It was like Rafiki, sure. like every fucking where, every. But that was like the aughts, but the 90s, it was all cats all the time. 
Pame Bravo writes, Hi, Connor. Hi, Io. I can't think of a better person to be a guest for this episode. Now, as a 90s X-Verse enjoyer, I can't help but love Farrell, and as a Latina, I feel like I must support her. I just feel so bad about her because not only did most of her teammates not like her, but neither did Fabian Nisiesa. And yet his characterization of Farrell is still the best one we have. The only characters I'd say kind of liked her were Richter and Tabby, or at least Richter did, which is something that, as a huge Richter fan, I've said before. He's the only one who's friends with everyone in X-Force, except for Cable. That includes the weirdos like Shatterstar and Feral, and I liked that trio. My favorite moment they had is when the three of them were training in the danger room in X-Force 19, and I think Hank mentions that none of them were Xavier's students, and they have that in common. I like when Maria calls Richter Mexicano because she speaks Spanish, so of course she pronounces it like that. And then Rick picks her up by the scruff of her neck like a cat, which is very funny, but feels like a moment between friends. It's really a shame that Fabian tried to get rid of her as soon as possible. Maybe if he tried to change the way he wrote her, like with Shatterstar, another character he initially didn't like, the team might have warmed up to her. Do you think developing a more genuine friendship with Richter, similar to what Fabian did with Shatterstar, but without any romantic overtones, have helped? Thanks for the pod. You've helped me improve my English listening skills and given me hours of content about my favorite X characters. I think that would have been fun. I think it's a shame that that doesn't get teased out. I also think that, like, Feral and Shatterstar have a funny vibe. That Like, imagine now, like, the Shatterstar we have now after Peter David kind of, like, vulgarized him a little bit. But I like what later writers have done, kind of, finding the middle ground of like the wacky X-Factor investigation Shatterstar and the more serious 90s Shatterstar. I think that Shatterstar now like throwing feral at people would be really funny. <laughs> like the Simpsons cat lady throwing her cats. Like, oh shoot. Yeah. Wow. You know what I mean? Good... Like just, yeah. Like fastball special baby. Like Shatterstar is not super strong, but I feel like feral is pretty aerodynamic. I don't know. They would be, I feel like, it would be fun for Shatterstar and Richter to have, like, obviously they have lesbian friends because they're hanging out with Rachel and Betsy, who's bi, but you get what I mean. But I'm just saying, like, I think it'd be fun for them to have just, like, a friend who's, like, a mean fucking dyke. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it would just, it's a different vibe. And I think that Richter in particular, it would just be fun for that character to be, like, in his orbit. I definitely, like, did a lot of did a lot of thinking on that that trio because I do think that like and this is also kind of I wasn't thinking of it before but this is also kind of part of that thing where I'm like Fabian Nucius really did try he just he, he really just did he's and it's like well he also it's the way he dismissed the Silic and Revanche tree which is beautifully written and he was like yeah. oh it's a piece of shit when you're looking back on it, I think also for him, because he was fired from X-Force so unceremoniously, yeah. I think it's a hard thing to look back at for him. And also, I was like 11 or something, so like six months is a long percentage of your life. Mm-hmm. Versus he was a full-grown adult, which right. is just like, just like something he tried briefly. Because if you ask me about six months and now, I don't care. I'm like, whatever. Like right. That was like last week. Like, no, that was January. Oh, you know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and and I think it's like that because like uh, what you said, X Force nineteen, which was my first personal. Like I borrowed those issues from mm-hmm. my brother, but like my the one that I went to the store and bought new that was X Force nineteen, and I got that. Like and in their little space adventure coming back, they are on the return team. You know, it's yes. kind of like these two like fight guys who are just like these are just, we don't have like relationships with them they're just 
violence friends and then Richter the guy we know from New Mutants you know what I mean mm-hmm. and, and like and yeah I guess yeah Nisiez had definitely started the whole like Shatterstar actually does have emotions and right he just didn't like he just wasn't thinking that way toward and you know you're he's dealing with a huge cast yes and I definitely don't blame the guy because also when I when I heard him on the um Jay and Miles and then on your show is like but even back in the Jay and Miles interview was the first time I heard him like oh of course he's like a real adult yeah you know like like he was you know like there's a huge like passion for what people do in superhero comics he's also less sentimental about the characters than we are and 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 then someone like Chris Claremont is like he doesn't he's not or Peter David like there are some writers for whom these characters are like they're babies and for him it's not it's work for hire he's not like he he's he's here to do a job and he's much more workmanlike about it and when he described that he was like he was working on staff and then like he got pulled into more writing it's more like he was just doing jobs to the best of his Company ability. Company man, yeah. About it. I'm not trying to denigrate that at all. No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that it's different from coming into it as, like, I am a creator who wants to create and, like, that I'm predominantly, like, coming from, like, a fan emotional standpoint. Yes. No, he comes from a marketing standpoint, which is exactly. a different mentality. And to take nothing away from his talent, because I totally no, 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 great writer. But I get exactly what you're saying, and I think yeah. he is less sentimental about it because he approaches it from a different mindset. Yeah, and uh, and so to finish off your question, the last, as you know, the last bit of uh, that trio is in that moment before the rainfire uh, story, mm-hmm. where it's actually like really like. The artist is not there yet. He gets better in his future career, but um, I, but um, it's the between Capullo and Daniel. But this is so it doesn't read as much as well because the artist is not quite there yet. But there's this moment where like Farrell's doing her thing. She's like looking at Shatterstar and stuff. But at this point, the vibe is different. Mm-hmm. She's given up. Yeah, you she's know? not gonna like hit on him or anything. She's like, like she's like so. Like she, she used to like she loved to flirt with him, and then she's just given up. Like he's like, oh, uh, if what did he say to her? He's like, oh, if you, because in retrospect, we see that Richter's projecting his desire onto her because she's a girl, so she's supposed to, and he doesn't really feel that he should. You know what I mean? Like, I, like he's probably repressed that so much. Right. So he's like, go hit on him because that's what you do. And she's just like, no, leave me alone. Like she, like there's a, an emotional doneness to her. I think she's already checked out from the group. Exactly, the thing. and she's just looking for an excuse for someone to give her a reason to leave, and then Rainfire gives her that excuse, and so does Cable. Frankly, like yeah. by by trying to protect Gyrick, which is something that she finds appalling. Yeah, you know. So yeah, I I, th- I think that. Those friendships, if you were going to bring Feral back into the mix, I think that Richter and Shatterstar are absolutely a great way to do that because she did have a genuine bond with them and she and Richter have cultural similarities, not, you know, super intense similarities. He's from Mexico and she's from New York and they're not the same kind of Latino, presumably, but like there is something there 
And it would be interesting to see like these queer Latino characters who were on this hugely successful team together in the 90s living their more open truth today on page together. It would be kind of fun to see. Yeah. Chazak Bean writes, hello, Connor, esteemed guest. First time caller, been listening for six months, and I thought if there was a character I'd ever want to be on this show for, it's Feral. So I'm super excited she's getting the Cerebro treatment. I love that. I love that more than one person has had that thought. As someone who grew up with cats, I attached to Feral as soon as she debuted, even if her design was just a Liefeld Wolfsbane redesign and her characterization was inconsistent at best. My favorite era was when Cannonball led X-Force and Feral started to soften some. It made me think much like pets can match their owners' temperaments. Feral might be a low-level empath and, like Megan, match the mood of those she's around or those she perceives as the boss. With that in mind, who do you think would be a good influence on Maria? Of course, Cat's Eye immediately comes to mind, or Danny Moonstar, even if it would drive Rain crazy having to deal with the psycho cat lady. How would a meeting between Feral and Hepzibah end up? Thank you for the hours of entertainment and a community that's rekindled my longtime interest in the X-Men to a fever pitch. Hearing Rogue yell, Remy, what's a manga? Gives me a certainly needed shot of serotonin every week, so thanks for that. Chazak in the Discord and on Twitter. I love that ad, and I hope that Comixology re-ups because I want to continue to have it in this. So if you're listening, Amazon, send another check. <laughs> the people demand more manga. <laughs> so this is a great question. I love the concept of Feral and Hepzibah interacting. That actually delights me. They have slightly similar don't-give-a-fuck energy that would be fun to see. I, I honestly, though, I just want Hepzibah around again. I think that she's, she's fun, and I get that Corsair's alive again, so she's in space with Corsair again, but I'm not huge on Brubaker X-Men, and one thing I really did like about it was, like, Hepzibah coming down to Earth and being an X-Man because she was fun. And she dated Warpath, who was on a team with Feral, so there's, like, a... There's sort of a, a connection you got there. He's on two teams with Feral. Hmm? I said he was on two teams with Feral. That's true. Yeah, you're right. So <laughs> I think the, the the funny idea of Danielle Moonstar is really the the fulcrum. That could work for sure. Like much like the rain and cat's eye and thing is funny, but you could also pick up because Danny was in the MLF with her, right? So there's Danielle Moonstar is the one who sent her to jail. Yes, period. <laughs> she she engineered. Oh, that's right. We didn't say that. She engineered the whole thing. Yeah, Danny is the feds. Is the thing <laughs> if if you're the MLF. Feds, and she also was just like, okay, so here's what you got to do. Here's what you have to do. You, this is the target. Right. <laughs> Go. Oh no, you went to jail. Oops. Oh darn. <laughs> no, um I think there's two things that happen in these types of with these types of characters. You either pick up where you left off, which is kind of unrealistic because mm. so much time has passed, or you presume that time has passed for them even though they're not main characters and then see them just sort of pick up from somewhere else, which I think is probably fascinating to see like what would it be like if like what 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 is what has happened if anything between them inter in between all of this time and events and life happenings losing powers lo changing affiliations blah 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 so I think that's fascinating but I think it's kind of undoable because Danielle Moonstar has been in the foreground and in the spotlight versus Farrell's been out of it 
you can't really it's hard to match those energies. I think it would again have to be a thing where it's a story about like Danny and Wolfsbane and you just kind of run through some of the old connections they have in supporting roles and Feral could be like a funny character to bring into an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I guess- the problem is at this point, momentum wise. Now, I mean, listen, it just takes one writer who really fucking loves a character. Sink was dead for 30 years and now he's an A-list X-Man. Because Jonathan Hickman loves Gen X. And Jerry has really loved writing Sync. And so between the two of them, that character is sitting pretty. I don't know how many people are like a passionate feral enthusiast. So we'll have to see. Well, basically, we got to see if uh, Sophie Campbell wants to come up off of those Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'd, I'd, I'd happily read a, a Feral Mini by Sophie. Every issue twice. I get the, the main and the alternate cover. <laughs> 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 then we had a couple of questions about Feral's hair. Maxwell Werner writes, Dear Connor and long-awaited guest, Mr. Io, what's the deal with Feral's hair? Based on context, I'd assume it's supposed to be evocative of a cat, but it's really not. It's more Bride of Frankenstein than anything else. Plus, didn't Wolfsbane have hair like that in the 90s, too? She's a dog, not a cat. Make it make sense. Could Feral's look be modernized? I suggest you get a haircut, but I'm not sure anybody could recognize her without it. Other life-held creations like Cable and Shatterstar have been able to evolve visually, but when Feral shows up, it's like she stepped through a time machine straight from the 90s. Sincerely, Maxwell Warner, they, them, head on the Discord. I think that the triangle is super essential to this character's silhouette, and I wouldn't want them to get rid of it. I think that, I mean, when they have, she has, in fact, been unrecognizable. There are a couple of stories. The New Hellion story, she has, like, a long haircut, and she just looks like Cheetah from Wonder Woman. It's, like, not Mm -hmm. recognizably feral. Uh, There's a moment where she had, like, a pixie cut, doesn't look like feral. That is definitely because Greg Capullo had no interest in drawing that. And (laughs) so they had her... So she comes face-to-face with Nick Fury's gun. It blows her whole hair off. (laughs) Because Greg's like, I'm not drawing that shit. He's like, this looks stupid. I don't like it. (laughs) Sorry. So, and you know what? I love... I love the look of a pixie cut. Like it's just like Oh I me those, too, but I don't think, I think it fits adorable. This so character, I, I also Do you like it? To, to be honest, to be honest, I was a kid, so I was a little sure. I was majorly embarrassed actually. So I was like, yeah, she has at least a decent haircut. Well <laughs> a decent hair singe situation <laughs> happening. <laughs> My thing now is just like if she doesn't have a big triangle on her head, is it really feral? And you could style it in different ways and it could be more of a it doesn't have to be quite as bright of Frankenstein-y. It could be more like Wolverine style, like a little smaller, but I think she needs the pointy tops at the very least or it doesn't look like the character to me well i've actually done something in uh my little doodles is um i figured out like you can get a similar shape and kind of keep the iconic markings Mm. by inverting it so you kind of have to visualize you kind of have sort of like um i don't know exactly what you call but like the way of pharaoh's business like comes down but like in a tr- like basically like if you were to draw a triangle down like going down, down like, instead of up yeah and then you like do something like throw a uh, bandana headband over her head i like, think as long as it's hole. true i guess it could point down i just need the pointies like it just she oh, needs no, no. to have a triangular <laughs> vibe yeah 
She's a sharp, pointy gal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I I think it can work, and that's that's just the way to just like switch it up if you want to like. Because I feel like you you it's nice to have some variety. Yeah, absolutely. Also on the hair subject, Arnaud Fresnel writes, Bonjour, Connor, an esteemed guest. I'm a French ex-fan living in the UK, so have fun with the accents. First, I would like to thank you for this wonderful podcast. Oh, gosh. First, I would like to thank you for this wonderful podcast, which enhanced many walks and long sessions of cooking and got me into reading Mutant X at the moment. Really enjoying it, so thank you. Oh, my God, I'm glad to hear that because Mutant X is a weird ride. I look forward to this episode because I haven't read many comics from the 90s, so Feral is an enigma wrapped into mystery and a pink bikini. Her hair is a whole experience. I was wondering how she maintains it. Does she cut it and style it herself? Does she go to a salon for wolf ladies with Rain Sinclair? Is there such a place in the Marvel Universe? Or the spiral of a haircut at the body shop? What is your take on extreme haircuts and hair maintenance for Feral? Thank you very much, and viva Celine, I'll know. I think Feral goes through a metric ton of hairspray (laughs) because rain started with that haircut because it was just like how her weird fur hair stuck out i don't think that's what i think feral has because we've seen feral with like normal hairstyles i think feral in very intentionally is like i'm a kitty cat bitch and i'm gonna have big kitty cat (laughs) hair like i think she is doing it on purpose i think it's very much like an aesthetic she has a a style a like an urban fashion aesthetic that involves pointy huge hair and i personally love that for her um i think that she does probably cut it herself like i don't think she's going to the salon i think she just using her little claws and stuff to like make it like tease it you know but i will say like thorn is clearly hitting the morlock salon like there is some kind of hair morlock because there is no way Thorn is keeping all those bundles looking so crisp and chic in the sewers. That's simply not happening by herself. But Feral, it's a more, it is more of like a shake and go hairstyle, but I think that she is spraying it within an inch of its life to keep it huge. <laughs> and uh, I, I support her and I wish her luck. I, not great for the ozone layer, but like. No. Feral has never even heard of the ozone layer. So what is she? She just care? found out about racism. Wait until she finds out. You <laughs> were like pollution, global warming. <laughs> Nobody told me about this. <laughs> they didn't have cable. Feral's never seen Captain Planet. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Heat Lucy writes, "Kia ora, Connor, an esteemed guest." Connor, you have full license to test out your New Zealand accent with this. This is an accent festival. This episode. Long-time listener and first-time caller, so thank you so much for creating this podcast to help me dive back into the myriad of our merry mutants. I was really excited to hear about the upcoming Feral podcast, and I've always wondered, did our furry friend not have a good grasp on fashion? I get it may have been dark in the Moorlock tunnels, but surely Maria would have understood that gloves over claws may not have been the most practical use of combat attire, similar to those thigh-high boots she rocked when she came back in X-Force 41. Was she a seamstress in her spare time could quickly sew up any post-battle rips and tears? What do you think of Feral's costume choices? She loves pink, but could you see her in any other color? Thanks for entertaining this wondering, and thank you once again for the podcast, Heath. I love this question. Gloves over claws is one of the stupidest decisions ever mm. made by a superheroine. It's true. Mm-hmm. I always thumbs upping and has been making noises. Like, I definitely said earlier that she's above average intelligence. But... 
But Even smart people have their stupid moments. <laughs> she does wear thigh high boots despite having feet claws and like opera gloves despite having hand claws, all of which she uses in battle. So it does <laughs> seem like she would go through a lot of gloves and boots. And she's not rolling in dough. No, she's not homeless. At all. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the... She joined X Force with the clothes on her back, and that wasn't too much clothes. No. So, like, really? I have to assume either they got her some gloves made of unstable molecules, or she just shoplifts a lot. Oh, absolutely. Which, like, I'm sure she does, but I've never and quite. All Morlocks have to steal. That's yeah. The, that's how you live. But, like, where is she stealing? four dozen pairs of pink opera gloves from i mean the village downtown i guess like she's going to drag shops i mean if they were in la i'd be like yeah you go down melrose you can get 50 pairs of pink opera gloves but i uh i I feel like yeah i don't know maybe down on canal street like weird accessory stores i feel like here's the thing i think feral should always be in pink because it is like the triangle head one of the two recognizable things about her is that she's the cat lady in pink i do think that you could experiment more with like color blocking you could do like pink and black you could do pink and white you could do pink and purple you could do different things but i think that like a pink core color scheme is essential to us recognizing and pointing at her and going that's feral right those of us who at all point at that character and know who she is. Most people are like, oh, Wolfsbane. Wolfsbane, so. right. No, but like, <laughs> but have you ever seen Wolfsbane wear pink? I haven't. So Farrell should keep wearing pink as far as I'm concerned. It's very I, funny to think about her tearing her gloves apart every time. I can't remember who said it exactly, but it's, um, somebody was telling me that it's really very like extreme cream extremely storytelling that like she's like all of the things that she is and she insists upon like soft bright pink mm-hmm. like, it's it's not it's not an accident the first time you're like yeah hey, maybe that's just what they had and then she's like no 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 no, no. like she only like, wears like rose and petal pink and it's like right. what is that about like she's bubblegum like, pink. Like what is and you know what? Murder, yet another bloodshed. yet another reason. Yet another reason she and Tabby should be friends. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that that really like tells a story without telling the story. And I think that's that's so actually apart from Star and Richter, that's another way in for this character is make her like Boom Boom's drinking buddy. I think you could do that so easily. Yeah. And just be like, they were on X Force together and we don't need to get into it. And it's like, and someone could even be like didn't you hate Feral? And she's like, oh, whatever. Like, like, (laughs) like, just move on. I definitely did this comic, but uh, it's not like a comic you can see. It's just something I like scribbled in a notebook a couple of days, you know? Yeah. But like, like I, the boom, boom Feral connection is so like obvious, even with so little to work with. I'm like, oh yes. Yeah. Like there's like some repressed, desire for something there whether it's friendship romance whatever something and i think boom boom's about to have a big moment with exterminators so i wouldn't be surprised if boom boom was like back on top again soon oh yeah she's she's about to have uh she's about to have it's going to be interesting yeah it's fun it's gonna be funny it's gonna be great 
Yeah, I'm excited about that book. I think that, and I think it's going to be kind of a glow up moment for Boom Boom because she's been in the background for a while, but she was super popular in the '90s, and I think she. Well, she was again. next to Jean Grey as far as like like lead woman in the X line. Like yeah, was, it was like she and it was if you were looking at a group shot, and it would be like girls. It would be like Jean Storm, Psylocke, Rogue, Boom Boom, Kitty Pride, Jubilee. Yeah. But that's like if you were to take all of them together. Yeah. But in terms of like leading a team. Teams, yeah. If you were to take them team by team, that ranks her up because she basically, because. She and Cannonball were basically co leading. Right. Yeah. And so she, Sam Scott and she's. Uh, and she's Jean. the Gene, right. And yeah. yeah. It is interesting that it's like, you know, she, she, I mean, Cannonball also kind of fell off. It's interesting to Cannonball. see. Yeah, his whole star fell, and um, it was really. Basically... Well, I think he got his happy ending, and then it's sort of like, what do you do with the character now? A little. I bit. think his star fell before then because uh, I think you were mentioning about how like um, there's kind of this floundering when he goes to X Men because they're yeah. like, oh gee gosh, and he's like a little kid again. I was like, this is like a twenty year old man. He like right who like led X Force for years. Soldiers, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, so they they lost their way earlier than like uh, I guess it's Hickman, right? Who decided mm -hmm. Hickman brought him back, him but then also day. wrote him out, you know. So Patrick Talbot writes, "Hello, Connor and most esteemed guest. Do you think Feral still keeps pigeons? I think it's adorable that she used to. Do you think she eats them? Not all of them, just some." <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I think she still does keep pigeons i don't think she eats pigeons because i think it would be too traumatic given what happened to her pigeons when she was a kid i think that feral never ate pigeons but she definitely ate mice and sure and i think she would eat other are... kinds of birds but i don't think she would eat a pigeon i just don't and also i couldn't i couldn't stand those damn gloves but then i realized oh she's a bird handler oh yeah <laughs> duh this is the shit that you think you can't of have claws like... out when you're feeding the birds. You gotta have oh, gloves on. But in general, you gotta have gloves on, like a falconer, right? No, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, Feral oh, this should have an attack falcon. This is my. This is what I what I'm building up to. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That that that, the... that actually leads into the next question. Sam Gladstone writes: Do you think there are pigeons indigenous to Krakoa, or would that be against bringing in invasive species? Would Feral have to make do with some weird Krakoan monster bird or a variety of tropical bird? If not pigeons, then what species of bird would you like to see her cultivate? So yes, Feral should absolutely raise some kind of Krakoan bird of prey that is a horrible falcon creature that just sits on her hand and is adorable but horrible, and she loves it. And Boom Boom is like. <laughs> Again with the bird, what is going on? <laughs> and they, I like Boom Boom, like can't stand the fucking bird. The bird is always messing with Boom Boom's shit. It's like pulling her sunglasses off her head. And she's like, the fucking bird. And Farrell's like, please don't raise your voice. He's very <laughs> sensitive. I was going to forward you an article. Actually, I forgot to do it. It's about uh, some. I don't know how serious the person is being, but it's about like how to raise attack crows to do your bidding obsessed i love that for i would love like a toucan moment maybe yeah. <laughs> like a, a quetzal like just all kinds of weird tropical birds just like i just love the idea of feral being a cat that birds like that's yeah. kind of a fun because like what does that mean what does that say about her i think that's interesting these are the, the thing about this character is because she's so undeveloped 
but has a couple really weird like I get why you're fascinated with her and reading your Twitter account has made me fascinated with her because it's just like A, Farrell did do nothing wrong. B, the details that we do have are so peculiar that you just yeah. want to explore more and you're like, what is going on with this girl? Where's her head at? I don't know. <laughs> Michelle Morris has a couple of questions. One, in the comics, Farrell was from New York City, but which borough? She's from the South Bronx. Two, would she be a Cardi B or Nicki Minaj stan? I could see the case for either. Nicki, because she talks a lot of shit, but Cardi, as you've seen on Love and Hip Hop New York City, would actually fight. I think that given the South Bronx of it all, she's got to be Barty Gang, right? Like that is exactly where Cardi comes from, and that's like her neighborhood. So I have no opinion because I am way too far, like, age-wise ahead of <laughs> rappers. So, like, to me, because, like, Pink. So that's obvious. Plus, also, Nikki came out first. so she Nikki came out first, right. Into that. Yeah. So I, I don't think there is an either-or. I think she likes both. But I'm saying yeah. if she had to pick, I feel like she's more of a Cardi girl than she is a barb okay in her vibe but she is annoying so she could be that's barb. that's true but i feel like you can edit that out if you need if you need to because i, I know i'm gonna let you. i'm gonna let you say whatever you want you can hang yourself that's not my problem right. but no <laughs> I, I no i i think 40 years old they can't hurt me. here's the thing here's what i'll say here's what i'll say i think boom boom is a barb and feral is a cardi b stan and that this is something they argue about while they are dealing with feral's weird bird okay we've invented now a, a, a friendship that i think is robust and that is one aspect of it three feral was roommates with marrow recently i feel like they just grouped them together as morlocks if you could assign feral a different roommate who would you pick um funniness definitely thorn you know, well, that's I mean, yes, that's a that's a that's a classic is just slap <laughs> them together. Kaya Santos Casa Casa Kaya Santos would be a yeah. nightmare, nightmare and nightmare for whoever their surrounding neighbors. Yes, well. absolutely. That because, could even just be a great throwaway is someone being yeah. like, I have the apartment next to Feral and Thorn and I want to kill myself. <laughs> the like, yowling is driving me fucking crazy. Like, they just argue about every little thing. Like, I, I can see that. Like, and I could see, like, I said that I said the thing about Xavier before, and I got to keep walking it back. Like, I don't think he cares that much. I think he knows a lot. I don't think he cares that much. No. You know, like, like yeah, 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 put these two together, blah, blah, okay, let's move on, you know. <laughs> I think it, it, it was a logical thing. It's like, let's put these two angry Morlock girls who were on Also, they're, like, literally together. related. So they'll, they'll, they'll be happy. This is great. Right, Fantastic. yeah. And right. he doesn't think about it again. Right. <laughs> Andrew Kosick writes, has Farrell ever been distracted by Cyclops' eye beams? <laughs> <laughs> Did Cable teach Cannonball to keep a catnip mouse in a pouch pocket? <laughs> How aggressively does Farrell commit to the I'm just a cat bit? Sincerely, Andrew Kosick, AK0 on the Discord. Not usually that much, but she was more like I'm a kitty cat when she was a ghost and I would encourage her to lean into that more because it's funny. Mm -hmm. I think that I do think that like cat stuff like works on her. Yeah. Generally. It's just, you can't go too far with it because like she is like a person who grew up as, yeah, a she's like, 
she's literally a human being. Right. So like, it's not like, she's like, not like allergic to chocolate. Right. If you were going to have someone be obsessed with Cyclops' eye beams, I would say Cat's Eye is the character to do that with because she's a fucking cat. Or less, if you do one of those like text message pages, data pages, of just like Cat's Eye and Feral texting each other about like, yo, what's up with Cyclops? I think he's doing it on purpose to mess with me. He's doing it to mess with me. And it's like, Sharon, you don't have to chase it every time. And Sharon's like, <laughs> I do though. What if I caught it this time? It's like, you can't catch it. That's not possible. She's like, but this time I could maybe catch it. It's like, no. I think I figured out the pattern. That's not how it works. Yeah, for sure. Last question. Krakoa welcomes writes, did Feral ever do anything wrong? No. And there you have it. Daryl, Io, thank you for being on the pod. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you and plug anything you want to plug? Okay, so let's see here. I'm on Twitter twice. Let's go Io, L-E-T-S-G-O-A-Y-O. And um, also, I'm trying to get back into it. Uh, Extinction Agenda. Because I have no idea how to spell that. It's Extinction Agenda, like the event, but the A on the end is an X. There you go. Thank you. It's a tempo avatar. It's an, it's an avatar of tempo getting a bullet plink off her helmet, which is funny. It, no, it's actually from um, Executioner's Song when Psylocke psychic knifed her from the back. Oh, you're that, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, yeah. So, no, my main Twitter account is a deluge of information. So for X-Men stuff, like... Extinction Agendix is the is the X-Men content, but there's also X-Men content on Let's Go I.O. It's just that also you're, like, constantly fighting with people on Let's Go I.O. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> I don't have anything to plug because um, I don't do webcomics anymore and I don't do zines anymore currently. I'm basically uh, in between everything. I'm doing a lot of like personal research stuff. So nothing to plug. Well, then you know what? Just follow him. He's a great follow. That's how this episode happened is I followed him on Twitter. I didn't even realize he was the guy who wrote in to the Fabian ECA's <laughs> episode about Feral. And then I was listening back to it and I read off the name of the letter writer and I went, oh, wait, shit. But, you know, that's that's called serendipity is what that is. Well, thank you so much again for being my guest. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladine tier at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast, you can get an ad-free version of every episode as soon as it goes up, plus exclusive access to the secret files, bonus episodes, including the weekly Claremont Marathon. I know that San Diego Comic-Con kind of threw it off, but I am back on schedule this week, and it is weekly, and I promise it's weekly. We're about to get into the phoenix saga which is exciting i mean that'll be out probably by the time you've heard this is the first part of it anyway i don't think gene's phoenix quite yet we're getting there i'm having a lot of fun with that and maybe we too like the brood queen could enter heaven next week's episode will feature margot mutter on lila cheney you can find all the episodes and much much more at cerebrocast.com please join the conversation but don't bring any bad vibes thank you so much for listening thanks as always for your support and until next time bye Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. 
Hope is